fucking magic. Right then. You can feel it. <laughs> Welcome back, Screamers, to another episode where we once again ask the question, what is the point of any of this? <laughs> Why is Wilhelm Scream brought to you by Prager University, making white guilt go away one child at a time. <laughs> look, look, as, as a cisgendered white man, I, I fully acknowledge my privilege in the world and just try not to abuse it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, the best you can. Look, you, you, outside of being Ethan Hawke at the end of First Reformed, I mean, what else are you going to do? Right? right. I mean. <laughs> right. But, but along with that, and I don't know that this will come up, but we are back on our Cassavetes mission. Yay. And we are looking at 1968's faces and 1970's husbands. So talking about a bunch of white men doing things. Right. Well, I mean, but, these, are, these are 68 and 70. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, to be fair, uh, look, I think he was doing a good job. Well, he did do shadows. To de deconstruct. And, it's yeah. true, too. Um, also, we'll touch on A Child is Waiting, as well as, I know Brock is excited about A Child is Waiting, um, as well as the two new films. Uh, one is called Medusa Deluxe, and the other is the A24 horror film Talk to Me. Yep. Yep. Um, I was jam-packed schedule for you guys. I was so sit back, <laughs> relax, <laughs> and, and let Jason's dulcet tones take you away. But first, aside from PragerU. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. I was going to ask, what's the story, Morning Glory? But I, you know, I don't know. Is there any anything else? To, no. We no, clearly no. know where Jason's mind is today, and right. that's on Prager University and uh, new curriculum. I don't. I, yeah, it, just watching these two, like, I, I'm going to go on heartbreaking films to me. Um, I know they're supposed to be kind of billed as comedies to a certain extent. Faces and Husbands? Yeah. Oh, no. They, they, <laughs> they break my heart every time I watch them. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's just a weird time to be, like, diving in and, and diving in in an in-depth way to these movies that... Are all at once inaccessible, but like suck you in at the same time. I mean, I can totally understand. I know that you can get on the Pauline Kale boat and and, and hate John Cassavetes while he picks you up in the street and and throws your shoes out of a cab window. But uh. <laughs> not just and, and not just Kale. Um, Canby didn't much care for, especially husbands. But you know, Canby also didn't like The Godfather Part Two. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's fine. It's <laughs> I mean, a little overblown, right? I mean, sure. going back, the timelines are all jumbled. Um, who was the? Who was? I, I'm not pulling his name, but who was the um, the critic who really loved the first cut of Shadows? Oh, uh, Jonas Mikas. Yeah, so Jonas Mikas saw faces, loved it, didn't say anything because he was worried that Casabetis would recut it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the same thing would happen again that happened to Shadows. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Apparently, and I mean, we'll get into this, but um, I think Al Rubin cut faces, right? Or I, I think he cut husbands. I think by the time, so by the time husbands comes around, mm -hmm. um, Cassavetes didn't want to be in the editing room. And then the first cut of Husbands was a comedy, essentially. Like, it was funny. Like, it was a legitimate Columbia was so excited about it. And it was focused on on Harry, on Ben Gazzara's right, character. Right, And And Cassavetes went to Ruben and said, what did you do? I hate this. This is terrible. What did you do? And he was like, well, I edited it the way you shot it. He's like, mm, no, we got it. Right. No, it's not going to happen. I edited 280 hours of film. Yeah. 
down to yeah. a manageable two and a half. Yeah, but everyone walked out of that screen. They were like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And he's in the back of the room just like, oh, I hate this thing. This is not my film. This is this is not what I wanted. Yeah, we can save some of that because that's, that's, yeah. that's a good talk there at the end, or at least when we get to that movie. But I don't want to like, I don't want to get too far ahead. So. No, let's 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 start with Talk to Me, if if that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you seen the group chat? And doing it again tonight? No. Please. It's my mom's remembrance day. I just want to forget about it. More than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90 seconds? <laughs> Don't want to stay. Light the candle to open the door. Blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say... Talk to me. Talk to me. What did the hand feel like? It felt amazing. I could see and feel everything on the other side. So my mom. She was trying to reach out. Mom, I'm here. Still been saying stuff. You've been saying stuff. What if we open the door, but we didn't shut it? Oh my god, they followed us. I like you. They're not gonna stop. This is, <laughs> this film is Talk to Me, colon, Mia and the Creepy Hand. <laughs> that was the working title. And it, uh, it was yeah. <laughs> well, and so this is a film by two, well, both of these new films we're going to talk about are by first-time directors. Right, um, and the Raka Raka, the YouTubers that made Talk to Me. Yeah, the... Uh, Have you seen any of their YouTube work? No. It's fun. It is It is fun and violent, and it is pretty well done for the no-budget YouTube stuff that they actually did. So. Well, and I think Talk to Me is pretty well done. Yeah, absolutely. Too. But this is, I, I mean, I, I actually wrote this down. I'm like the term like YouTuber, I think, shows my ignorance and my age. <laughs> and I'm still confused when people say, oh, my favorite YouTuber has made a movie. And I'm just like, that's like a <laughs> that's a thing that people say that, that that's a career. And, and I don't mean like career in a negative way, but it's like that's a title that people I, I mean. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. That's a title. I mean, then, I mean, yes, it helps. Again, have, I'm still confused by all this. Right. 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 Um, and, and they Raka Raka is different than what I consider a, a YouTuber in the sense that they're making short films that are that have a platform that's easily accessible. To me, the YouTuber is someone like Mr. Beast or PewDiePie or these people that... Jake that, Paul. 
Yeah, these. Wait, he's the, a boxer now, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I think I so. Like, I, I, think, I think Jake is a box. Is a, I can't remember now. Oh, there's like, another Logan, one. There's Logan and Jake. Oh, yeah, Jesus. they used to be Disney stars, and then they were. It was a whole thing. Okay. So, um, but yeah, these people who do these like, you know, overly long videos, and and they're you know giving away money, and and it's not really it's content that's just constantly put out, but it's not anything that's interesting to watch. You know, it's I mean, and again. It sucks. It, this is just speaks generationally because this is not obviously when we were kids, we were watching. We only had TV to watch, right? So we had. But to, we had Kurt Loder on MTV. We did have Kurt Loder and Julie Brown and Downtown uh, Julie Brown. <laughs> both, actually, Julie Brown and Downtown <laughs> Julie Brown. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Tabitha Soren. <laughs> and before Kennedy went all weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's fucked up though? Like, but speaking of MTV, like. Mm-hmm. And again, by the time I got into college, it did kind of deteriorated. It wasn't good anymore. But like now and like legit, just tell me if I'm wrong. But now it is just ridiculousness. Right. It's just that fucking show. And that show is God. I don't know. People watch it. I get Tosh.0. I get like people who actually have like a comedic take or talk soup or those types of things. I get that. Ridiculousness is just, I mean, like, it's ow my balls, and it's, but it's not funny. Like, it's not, like, it's fucking it's crazy no one's to dipping me. them in anything. <laughs> right. Um, but, like, I, and I, and I hate to be old man river, but when, when fucking MTV started out and you had 120 minutes and, and yo MTV raps and Brandy of the Redwoods and fucking liquid television and, all and MTV this, News. I mean, I don't want to right. like yeah, discount absolutely. that. Yeah. And and all of this shit, like you, I would just, we would watch and we would record like nonstop MTV. On a VHS cassette. <laughs> right. On a VHS. Um, and, and yeah, I just, it, I mean, I don't know. Is there any place to get videos anymore? Do, does anybody give a shit? Like YouTube. I guess so. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know, yeah. or or social media, different, you know, TikTok, Instagram. You see stuff I mean, on there all the time. MTV still has the MTV Video Music Awards. When did they? When, when did they ever do they show? Actually and I, show? I know videos? that's been a. I know that's been a long time yeah. thing. Like the, yeah. now you go to MTV Two to get videos. I know that's been a been a running joke for a really long time. But like <laughs> seriously though, do they show videos? Yeah. What are they fucking doing? I don't know. I, I don't know. watch it. I don't. Watch I mean. <laughs> Well, and no, you, I, I, not it's, anymore. It's I mean, I, you, I mean, I grew up watching all the same, all that same stuff. Even though I was a few years behind, so like when you were in college, I was in grade school. I'm kidding. When you were in college, I was in high school. <laughs> right. So I mean, you yes, know, I you're mean, my Bam Bam to my Fred. Yeah, I get it. It's funny. <laughs> I mean, we we kind of my. I don't know, mental acuity was not where yours was when, say, like 120 minutes sure, or sure. some of that stuff was on there. But I was still watching it, and I mean. Before I got into high school and, you know, started doing drugs and drinking on the weekend, I would, <laughs> I would, I would watch the you know, TV raps, you know, on, right. it was Friday night where the long one was with, with Fab mm-hmm. Five Freddy. And then during the week you had, um, Dr. Dre, not that Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, right, right, right. Yeah. So, but yeah. You would watch those things and, and you would record videos. You would learn about different stuff from them. I remember waiting. I remember when when Wild Thing, Tone Looks Wild Thing first came out. <laughs> and that was and it hit as a video and I was like, holy shit. And I was like, I would wait for it to come on so I could I had my TV connected up to my cassette mm-hmm. so I could run I could record it off the cassette before the actually album before the single had actually even dropped or like came out. Um yeah, it's like so that begs the question, who is watching it? Because like younger kids wouldn't if I said MTV to my fourteen year old or my 
nine-year-old, um, at, you know, then they wouldn't know. They mm. would have no idea. And even my 23 and 21-year-old don't have any fucking clues. So, I mean, like, I don't know who's, like, how is that station still staying on inside, beside the, 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 the huge fans for Rob Drydeck and, and the Jackass <laughs> clan or whatever. But I mean, well, I mean, and that begs the question of how do things stay on, how do some things stay on or not get canceled while others right. do? Like, you know, after a season, everyone's like, that was great, nah. So, sorry, we're not going to show any more. So. You know, and I was thinking about this. Too. I was listening back a couple episodes, but and I and I was like, I'm not making my point very well on this episode about like <laughs> about like physical media and it disappearing and the disappearing, um, and just kind of like why. And I'm not sure I'm going to make my point any better now. But like, I was thinking along the lines of the SAG and the WGA strikes mm-hmm. and how like difficult it's going to be to overcome those hurdles. Not just the AI piece, which I think is one of those things where the studios are not going to really want to back down. Yeah. But but also the idea of, well, okay, we have these series that we now, if they get viewed, just like a Spotify view, right? If a Spotify, mm-hmm. you know, a listen and Spotify, those have to pay out a certain percentage per penny. Well, now you've got a hundred more times more people involved. And they really have built in no mechanism to track any of that because they don't want to track any of that. Right. It's more, it's better when it's secret. It's better when it's hidden behind the curtains. And like they, I'm sure they know what kind of data is going through their servers and who's watching what, because that fuels how they determine, you know, what they buy and what they put money into to develop. But they certainly don't want that information to like really collect it's just like companies not collecting email data after a certain point. We don't, we don't want to know. We don't want to know what you have to actually say because that becomes a legal problem. And I do think it's going to be a really, like, it's going to be difficult. And it's, I think it's going to have, like, the, like we talk about the, how the pendulum swings. I think it's going to have a negative repercussion in at least the beginning because you're going to start seeing people like Netflix and Hulu start pull more and more content off. Because they have no interest in hiring a thousand more accountants to try to figure out, oh, I've got to go pay, you know, ballpark, <laughs> Paul Mark Gosley, whatever the fuck his name is from, I couldn't pull his name. From Paul Save, Mark Gosler. Yeah, from Saved by the Bell. I've got to pay him a five cents every time someone streams a Saved by the Bell. Is it Paul Mark or Mark Paul? I don't know. It's Logan and Jake, basically. They're both YouTubers, <laughs> which is what we've, we've already discerned. We don't know what that is. But, I'm but one- you've seen this exact thing with, with Max, right? When... When HBO Max became Max, they cut a ton of stuff and it just disappeared. Right. And, and again, like we have no interest in sort of and like, managing this. Reading about like, um, you know, I was just reading about these about husbands and faces and the things that like it's it's funny to me now. You know, we look back, but like Garza and Falk um, weren't things like right. they, they weren't huge at the time they made husbands. These guys were struggling actors. Um, Seymour Cassell was doing jobs for $150 before he got, you know, and well, he was and on faces. He was part of the crew right, he before was, he became, yeah, he filmed the, the stuff in the, and then he opened the second, in the first part of the movie and then eventually got in front of the camera. It's, it's, but I was like, there's, I was reading about how, um, Garza, I think, or maybe it had been, I can't remember now which one it was, was on the show called, um, it was like law and order. It was like called attorney in trial or something like that. Or, or, I don't know. It was it was a very early I like, like that. attorney in trial, <laughs> right? It's like cop and criminal, cop and criminal, yeah, <laughs> cop and court, <laughs> cop and court SPU. Um, but it was very similar. Like all these guys were doing these like what what sounds like you know um, Tarantino was making fun of or you know referencing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all these like bounty law and like all these shows yeah. that were 
guns for hire and they would be in multiple episodes playing multiple different roles and and um you know and it was it was interesting to me like i know that i couldn't find an episode of of any of these shows anywhere unless i was trying to hunt it down in the annals of piracy somewhere but i mean there's no way for me to go back and 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 reference any of this material probably right and as we as the material grows and grows and grows that's going to continue because again one the shows that certainly don't have like contracts anymore or these people are hard to find you know, they're not going to want to hold this money in arrears for somebody's great 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 grandkid and so these things right. are just going to go away i mean and and we'll and we'll lose them to time or we'll lose them to physical media if that physical media ever existed or not right but for a lot of these 50s or 60s shows i probably they don't exist because they didn't think to record them or to keep them like these one little things that existed for like three seasons and then just got discarded now and again is it important or not? I don't necessarily know, but I mean, like when I'm looking back on historian, that's difficult to say that, well, now I'll never be able to see early Peter Falk because that all that shit's gone. All of it's gone. We don't have any reference or record of it anywhere. And there's no there was no home media at the time to even record it. So we're never going to find it again. Right. It's somewhere on safety film. Right. In some <laughs> basement somewhere, right. maybe. Right. If it hasn't all sort of melted or, or degraded you know, or gone up in a fire somewhere. But I mean, I think this is an important it's an important point to make about the things that we find valuable to hold on to and the things that we're ready to discard based on kind of current zeitgeist. Right. Or based on a group of exec- executives taste, you know. Right. right. And, and, and so the, the idea of whether someone does or doesn't want to find them is it doesn't really matter because there's going to be one researcher out there, one historian out there who is going to do that work and is going to dig into something and come up with a new idea, a new sort of insight because of that. So this it, it's important not to discard our historical artifacts, <laughs> even if it is Cop and Criminal starring right, Peter right. Gazzara. No, <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Back to talk. To anyway, me. yeah. Back to talk let's to talk me. about talk to me. So, again, this is a story about Mia in a, in a creepy hand, right? <laughs> a, a group of friends conjure spirits using an embalmed hand and become hooked on the thrill. But things go too far, and a door to the spirit world remains open, putting them all in danger. Mia, especially, is plagued by visions, hallucinations, and faces a heavy choice. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Um, I just want to say. The real villains in this film are Mia's friends. Yeah. Okay. So Mia, which 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 friends are we talking about? The immediate friends, the the ones. So here, I'll rephrase that. The real villains in this film are the people who say they are Mia's family. Okay. Okay. So Mia, Mia's mother, has been dead for about a year. It it appears as though she committed suicide, even though the father doesn't tell her that directly until later. But we kind of understand that that's what happened. There is a memorial service, like a remembrance service, I would say, for for her. And the people that claim to be closest to her don't bother to go. Well, and then when she wears the clothes or like they, they shit on her, like, yeah. they, they, I mean, like basically yeah. if she wears one of her mother's dresses yeah. and they're like, I can't believe you're wearing yeah. that. And then they pour something and, on top of her. I can't remember exactly what they pour right, on or some sort of right. food product. But Jade, right? is, that, is that her name? Her best friend, Jade? Yeah, I think so. We'll um, go with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she it sounds like a best she, friend name. She can't go because she's too busy texting with with a boy who was like a grade school boyfriend of Mia's. Right? But 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 to the extent that she forgets to pick up her little brother, 
who then calls Mia for a fucking ride home. Yes. And then the mother, who Miranda Otto is, is, is great in this. The mother's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't get off work. And I'm like, oh, really? But your family, I just, I don't know. Look, so I, I just want to say I, that I, they're, they're I, the fucking villains. I think the message <laughs> is that it's difficult to be a teenager in this day and age, for sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's okay. a lot of expectations. Sure. And especially, sure. It's especially difficult when you're faced with some sort of tragedy and us as society don't know how to help people process that tragedy. Well, and I think that is, I mean, I can't quite tell if you're being snarky or not here, right? Because I'm like, I'm like, no, yes, right? Because Mia is clearly, clearly kind of possessed or obsessed with this terrible grief of, lo of losing her mother and then not being told everything by the father. And that grief causes damage to those around her. But at the same time, those around her who profess to be the closest to her, to profess to be a kind of um, second family, right, who cares so much about her, they don't show a lot of no, intent of to help or do anything. They just kind of dismiss her. Are you okay? Okay, cool. That's it. I mean. Right. They clearly don't know how to help, so they pulled back and start behaving in overly selfish ways. Her father is essentially non-existent. Her best friend is more concerned with her hitting on her boyfriend and becoming close to her boyfriend, who's not really her boyfriend and has still has feelings for Mia. Yeah. Um, but and there's, so there's a rivalry there. This weirdly ties into husbands, which is like <laughs> bizarre to me <laughs> this week that we line these two up like this. Yeah, I know. But as we get into husbands, a lot of these same <laughs> themes are going to come up. And the way that we deal with them as a 18-year-old or, you know, a young a teenage girl versus, uh, you know, midlife crisis men. Yeah, it's not too dissimilar. Although there's, there's well, it's really, it's really not. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> the way that we express these feelings and these emotions. I mean, I I have, you know, multiple times in my life through like grief or whatever, have turned back into oh, a, a a teenager, right? right? Just just kind of yelling and screaming and, and, and being ridiculous. And again, I think we'll get into that like later. But yeah, it's not that dissimilar. And I think and this movie clearly shows Mia as needing help. And, and, and part of the reason why, even though she's reluctant to, uh, to be a part of the party, that, that happens where they have the hand that, that invites you into the spirit world. And even reluctant to, like, like she's still being made fun of. So part of her... Mm -hmm entrance into that world is to kind of one no one explains what is actually happening before you go and <laughs> and, and invite these spirits <laughs> right. in and it's all taken as a frivolous act of like oh it's really fun and it's crazy and you never know and like it's more fun for the people that are outside seemingly for the people outside of in the room watching you behave crazily um Rather than than the actual possession that happens for ninety seconds, um, you know when you're when you take the hand. Um, I like that. Take the hand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean clearly Mia is in need of a in need of help. And what's you know, and again, these these types of movies never really show a sympathetic adult or adult that actually, if they are, they're usually in a position of like school power or mm -hmm. institutional mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. um, and but like you said, Miranda Otto is m more protective and and of her i mean she's dismissive of mia in the same ways because her family is dismissive of mia 
Um, and then her, you know, her father, again, is just simply non-existent and clearly hiding something from her. So she's reached, I mean, she's right. really kind of on, alone on an island because the school, I mean, and obviously all of her peers are still see her as kind of a, as a person to to keep at a distance because she's been damaged in some way. Which is weird because she's like the coolest person in this movie. <laughs> like, it is bizarre because, and, and and like, they only really open up to, and again, this is not a dig at the movie, but it's like, but they really kind of only open up to her after she, you know, beha- behaves in a way where she gets possessed by a spirit, opens herself up to this possession, and then um, because she behaves so, like her possession is so memorable, mm-hmm. they are all kind of like, taking her back in or kind of but even then once the possession once the second round of possession happens and it's is it reuben that's right is it uh, riley 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 um riley takes the hand younger brother of jade and his experience is so wildly different and so wildly violent um that then again everyone still turns against her and then of course this group of this group of students who's been treating this like a drug and kind of like an underground um you know, this underground where they're recording the videos and they're having a great time and, and and not really thinking of the ramifications of what's happening. Of course, how could they? Because this is not the thing that they would even understand anyway. Not that anybody would understand. But they know the rules. They do know the rules. Yes, that's I. The movie does kind of like it's like, well, and the rules must have been like borne out throughout the life of the hand as it gets passed down. Because as we see at the beginning of the film um, and it. It, it the one thing that the film one that the rules doesn't get passed down is that if you have trauma in your life you probably shouldn't be opening yourself up to the spirit <laughs> right. world right 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 um but the first opening sequence is a young man who's possessed and ends up trying to stab his brother and then ends up stabbing himself what well, does face. stab his brother he, he does he stab kills himself, right, himself but he doesn't kill his brother, brother yeah. right yeah. so i would imagine that this has been passed down and people understand that the first person who did this at two minutes is 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 dead and kill a bunch yeah. of people. So we've whittled this down by trial and error <laughs> to say ninety <laughs> seconds is the limit. And then <laughs> this is like how, how do we get to ninety seconds? Well, you see, <laughs> right? It's well documented out on YouTube. You can see all the talk right. to me. Um, right, right. I mean, this but, is very Flatliners esque in a way. Mm-hmm. Right? Although mm-hmm. this is way better done than Flatliners is. Flatliners is a cheese ass nineties <laughs> pseudo horror flick. Um, this is way, way better. Uh, but it's a similar conceit of mm-hmm. like, we're going to mm-hmm. get, we're going to die and we're going to continue to push the boundaries and further and further and further. Um, you know, as Mia opens herself up to the spirit world and she is almost willing to do the, the she's willing to play with the Ouija board by herself at, at a certain point. And it's not a Ouija board. It's a hand. I'm still being facetious. And, a little and, bit. and this is all because riley was possessed by someone claiming to be mia's mother right and so she again is looking for that is trying to get back to this parent that she misses so desperately right and so and so i think out of desperation she's willing again yeah to play with the ouija board right (laughs) to shake hands all alone right and and, and, and riley's session was was the the demon the whomever possessed riley tried to kill him Mm-hmm. He, they be basically bashing his head oh. into a very into a table very over and over and over again until they could finally pull him off and and pull his hand away from the yeah. hand. Um, this I, is this is another moment where Jade is a real villain. So because this is what I mean, they they end up blaming Mia right because Riley's um, thirteen, twelve, I don't know, probably thirteen, right, something along those lines. And he wants to do the trick, and his sister says no. 
and like adamantly says no. And then she leaves the room <laughs> and leaves her little brother with a bunch of people that want him to do it. I mean, this <laughs> right. is like being at a party, putting down a line of Coke and saying, don't touch that when everyone else is like, do it. And then walking away and then being right. mad. <laughs> right. I mean, I just find that so... See that tree over there? Don't eat those apples because it's really kick-ass when you eat those apples. I like that you made it like religious. <laughs> You'll be really smart. Cool. So, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> we teach you all kinds of cool things to do with your dangly parts. <laughs> Which is why we do anything, really. No, this is true. I mean, everything is about sex. I mean, everything. So Riley is basically in a coma after this. He's beaten himself silly. Um, and the demon that possesses or continues to haunt Jay, uh, Jay, Mia uh, convinces her that her mother didn't really die of a suicide, that, that most likely her father killed her. And also, she's trying to figure out how to help out Riley and how to get him out of this limbo. So she sees him in an era of... She sees she's been pres she's presented with a picture of him in limbo where all these demons are trying to pull him apart, basically literally mm -hmm. tear him apart. And and the girl tells him that the only way that they can get him back is to kill him. You've got to kill him and let him that will release him. So she takes him out of his hospital bed and is running him down to the highway to push him out in front of traffic. She overhears the demon say, uh, he will be ours then, and then she jumps out into traffic taking to herself. Does she jump? I don't really know. I think, you know, <clears throat> that's a good well, question. Well, I mean, I think, I think that, and I mean, I like that ending, right, where Jade is running towards her, and we don't really see, we, we see the point of view shifts really from Mia's eyes and like a tumble into traffic, but we don't see how. Budgetary limits. <laughs> it is something yeah, they the just, combination. They the just threw the camera out there. <laughs> That'll work, right? Right. We, we didn't need that one anymore. <laughs> Here's some CGI green screen of a car tumbling over, and now Mia is in the middle of the road. Um, and then setting up a sequel, talk to talk to me. Talk, talk with two, a two. Yes. Uh, Mia is now in the spirit realm, mm -hmm. and she finds herself being invited into another student. I like this idea of 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 the time, obviously playing different in in the spirit world, and like so she immediately thinks that that happens, but clearly this is down the road. Mm -hmm. um, and this, uh, I I like the potential. I don't know if they're going to dig into it because it's really kind of a difficult and a heady story to tell. If you're telling Mia's story again from the other side, and again, what does she have to? There's not really anything at that point that she has to solve. There's not. I mean, she her her path is done. At or this come point. back to because again, these are terrible people. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So there's no like exact. I mean, like if you take this from a 1980s direct-to-video uh, sequel, yeah, then it's Mia's revenge, and she's starting to exact like. Uh, you know, starting to possess other people, and then she exists in the real world by possessing. That's a pretty cool. I, I could, like, I could <clears throat> with that. I could do that. Yeah. Um, but it becomes much more of a, a slasher than it becomes a meditation on grief and, and right. how we handle grief. Right. I thought this was really, really well done. I thought the the way that this story didn't really. I mean, yeah, there are cheap thrills in there, and there's some really hyper violent scenes, but there's no jump scares in this. There's no like boogeyman out in the corner. 
Uh, there's nothing rushing at you at the screen. I mean, the opening sequence where the kid stabs himself in the eye, that fucked me up a little bit. I was just like, okay, that's, <laughs> right. that's rough. And the kid, I mean, like, this is kind of hereditary level, like, oh, shit, yeah. that just fucking happened. Yeah. But there's really nothing cheap or unearned in this movie. I think this is a pretty, pretty well done de- debut horror film. And I, I do, too. And, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what they've yeah. got going on next. I, I, I wanted to, I, I don't love everything about the film. Sure, But sure, I sure. do, I really want to applaud the, the movie and the filmmakers for not falling into that trap that other movies have or other movies might where it becomes a sort of quest movie to find out oh what is this spirit how do we defeat this spirit right. or how do we the kind ring, of essentially yeah, yeah there's none of that and I think that that is great I was so happy not to see that yeah, this not focuses... to find out whose hand that was <laughs> right. right right no yeah. you're right this focuses on Mia and her tragedy and her journey in this and without the hand, all of the things that Mia would have gone through had she not been... I mean, this is a straightforward telling of a person who was dealing with her mom's suicide. And I mean, ultimately, she ends up accidentally killing her father because she thinks their father's attacking her. I mean, there's things in there that, that are kind of... There's still tropes that are, that are present right. in this movie. But again, that, that, that connects back to this damage that we do to others because of our own sort of trauma and grief. Right, right. right. Yeah, no, I think it was... I, I, I really, really liked it. Um, I... It's always refreshing when you have, because so many times that these types of movies, especially with this like central conceit of, oh, we're going to do this one thing, right? And then it's going to, yeah. like like The Ring, and I, I, I actually like The Ring movie, but again, there's so many, As knock, you there's so many knockoffs of that. So you get to be, you know, a diminishing returns after a while. This is, this was really, really good. I, I, I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, I do wish, I think, I think I thought the movie could have gone farther into some things. They sort of touch on the social, quote-unquote, social media, the sort of craze of this. I mean, this is where, so yeah, the phone, social media thing, it doesn't really come back into play or make a mark on the film, even though, like, it's omnipresent. And I'm not saying I want to see things through the lens of that, but if this is such a craze or, like, a deadly craze... How did it become a craze, and why does it feel so underground? Right, and like only a handful of people know about it. Right, and that's the thing. That, and at digging into it as well, yeah. like and we, do, we kind of talk about the Barbie movie too. And there's so many things that are like, <laughs> like yeah. how does this all work? Right, uh, trying to give it a little bit of credit just because it's a low budget film, and it's. It, but I agree with hmm. you. When I was sitting there going like, okay, how is the news not picking up on this? Right, like, right. Like, at some point, this we live in such a connected world. That this would have leaked out. This would have got like in the ring. Like there's a news reporter right. who's found out about a VHS tape in a cabin right. somewhere. <laughs> right. Like, right. How is there not? And again, right. but it's good. Like you said, it's good that that's not the story. That that's, there's not some Courtney he, Cox trying to figure out right. the, the through line here. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how that would have come back into play, but it just it does seem sort of like okay, we're gonna like because at the beginning where the um, the sort of prologue where the guy stabs himself in the eye. Everyone is filming at this party. Right. And even the brother's like, put your fucking phones away. <laughs> but then, so I'm like, like, you can't do that and then have it never be right. around and no one pick it up. And so, yeah. And it, yeah, you figured like the end of this would be something like the end of They Clone Tyrone, where the news, the press is finally got on to what's happening. And now we're seeing, or we're seeing some sort of proliferation of this going out right. everywhere. Right? right, right. And like now everyone's kind of tapping in. That is an interesting, again, another, then you run the budget up really high. But the the interesting <laughs> part of like, it's like the original Ghostbusters story where the, the, the Ghostbusters were supposed to be this team in a world where Ghostbusting existed all over the place, right? This idea of like, well, now we have an, a way like to get into the ramifications of us going into 
a spiritual realm and all the implications that that could imply from a from a religious perspective and a, and a metaphysical perspective <laughs> and like all these kind of things of like, and a scientific perspective of like trying to manipulate it maybe that's the interesting yeah. sequel there yeah um but yeah i mean overall i really liked it um and I, I did like the sort of subtext of of grief and loss and trauma, even though, you know, like I, I told you off mic that there were some critics who I read and heard sort of play that down. They were just like, oh, another horror film about loss and grief. And I'm like, they're all about loss and fucking grief. And I'm like, all of them are. Like, so that's like saying, oh, another story about love. Well, every fucking story is a love story in some way. So. Right. If, if they do it well, I'm not sure what you're complaining about. I don't I mean, know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not and it's not like we're being this we have this deluge of like film after film after film of like this is not like police academy seven right we're not, we're not talking about <laughs> right. like uh, another uh, mission to grief okay we get it we get it yeah. guys michael winslow can make voices and he's sad we get it we get it um look sophie wilde's performance is amazing um, she plays Mia. I think she's. I think she's fantastic. I did wish that there was a subtitles at the beginning of the film. It is an Australian film, so I found it. I found the dialect a little hard to pick out. And it went. It's like train spotting for me. Once I get past the first 10, 15 minutes, right, I'm fine. Right. But like, it took me a minute to get in. I know. This. I'm like, who are you looking for? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Who? What do you? What is that word? What is, <laughs> they sound familiar, <laughs> but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Is that? That's not the king's English. <laughs> <laughs> this felt a little Babadook-ish to me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, although mm-hmm. Babadook to me is like a much harder film to watch. I can't. I, it's, 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 I can't really. It's that that movie. I'm almost like, oh yeah, I should watch that again. And I get into it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that kid's screaming again. I can't do this. This is yeah, really hard. Gen- Jennifer Kent's tough. Yeah. Um, go check out the Nightingale if you want something <laughs> right. hard to watch. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Medusa, Medusa Deluxe. Deluxe. You don't know what it's like losing your hair. You might as well be dead. There could be a serial killer on the loose. It's a hairdressing competition. Did you kill him? How do they even know it's murder? Someone scalped him. Well, you're right. All right? No. He was dead. They follow me, dead people. All I want to do is cut hair. And they keep dropping. How do you tell someone who love has been scalped? They're short answers, Renee. They don't care about perms. There's me thinking we're just a bunch of hairdressers. She's fixing this. One smile into some kind of gangster fixing the show of murdering the rivals. I might take that break now. Got no fun. This is the crown that you never take off. So, 
This is a one take who done it set in the high stakes world of regional hairdressing competition. <laughs> Extravagance and excess collide as the death of a contestant sow seeds of division in a community whose passion for hair verges on obsession. <laughs> I did have the one take in quotes because it's not a pure it's, one right, take. It's not. It's not. Um, Cinematography by the same guy who did Come On, Come On, and uh, a few other things. And I can't remember off the top of my head now, but uh, but like a legit like, uh, and this is a first time filmmaker as well. Um, I wanted to be Renee. That's my first like. That's I. I that's the guy. If I was going to pick oh, a person oh, in the movie, yeah. I just want to be the Renee. That be guy. As cool Renee. So that looks. that guy. He's Daryl De Silva. Yeah. He's. I mean, I cannot tell you what films he's in, but he's always a standout. I mean, right. he always looks so great <laughs> and so cool. He was in Wrath of Man, that mm -hmm. Guy Ritchie film, yeah. where he plays kind of a heavy, but not the heavy. He's always sort of like the other guy, but he's great. His hair is amazing. It's, it is <laughs> so amazing. For, for a film about hairdressing, you pick the right dude. Yeah, yeah. He's got incredible hair. Oh. Yeah, uh, and incredible facial hair as well. Right, right. I mean, he just has a great look. And like in this movie, he's wearing like kind of a a see through mesh shirt. It's all black. He's got black leather pants on. These yeah, kick ass rings, rings like a skull, like all this stuff that Bracelet would just be cheese ball. Like if you weren't in the in the environment, but like I always think those characters are funny. Like have they, you know, when they get up, you know, they're just wearing regular like nineteen fifties old dad pajamas. But when they actually get dressed, now they're fucking just cool. Like everything about them is just like reeks coolness. Oh man! And like, and you can't. You gotta have like that. Like none of those rings. Those rings selected him. They wasn't the other way around. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like, they they called to him, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. um, this this movie, it's funny. It's it's fun. I don't. It didn't quite hit for me. Like, there's I, it doesn't I, quite work. Right. There's it's like I almost want this film to exist as a kind of dark uh, Christopher Guest film. Like, I, this feels <laughs> like it should be funnier. Right. It should feel like because there's so much like the the, the there's. One, it takes a minute for you to kind of get assimilated to this world. Well, they drop you right in the middle of right. it. Right. And you, so all you know is that someone's been murdered, someone's been scalped. And you really, it's kind of like a link letters slacker. You go from one, you, you follow what, you're in a scene, you follow one character out of a scene to another scene, you follow another character out to another scene, and mm -hmm. you come back around. Mm -hmm. And then so you're, and, and the, but they do play with the timeline a little bit too. So you're like, you're not always sure which timeline you're in. Right. And I don't think this film is interesting enough to to go back and watch multiple times to pick no. it all out. Like by the time you get to the who killed this person, I think that's kind of a touching story. But like I just don't feel like the 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 narrative and the journey has warranted where we end up. And I and I think it pay I think it is a disservice. To the characters that came before, there's some really interesting, like fun characters, mm -hmm. and and by the time you get to Angel or on Hell, and and like when he comes in, I'm like, eh, that's but that's 30 minutes in. So when yeah. you, when he comes in, the film really kind of finds its life. Yeah, like he's yeah. a really funny injection into that scene, <laughs> and he's talking. To, I thought he was talking about a dog for the longest time in the back seat, and then they actually bring baby. out a baby, <laughs> and it's like because when he says, oh, "Is there anything to swaddle him in?" and I, I swear, because it sounds like it's kind of this cooing, but I, and I thought, well, he's this guy clearly. <laughs> As a dog, um, and, and then it was like, "Was well, there anything to swaddle him?" And it's like, "Yeah, he's got his baby Bjorn." So I was like laughing at that, thinking of like that Renee was going to be in a, with the baby Bjorn, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's actually it's a baby that they put this baby Bjorn," yeah. which is a funny scene too because the baby does a full take on into the camera. Um, but <laughs> right. one of the kids at the choir does too at the end of the movie. Yeah. Like he looks at yeah. 
And I guess you're supposed to be through the POV of Angel and Angel at that time, so it's a little bit. Uh, but yeah, this this murder mystery is you don't you're not like it's weird to do that in a one take thing, like like almost like a Goodfellas like scene like as we're the, walking into the, the coat coat right. Um, well, I could have seen like I I was thinking like this would have been really interesting if. During like these one take scenes, these characters are getting picked off one mm -hmm. by one, right? Yeah, we, I kept thinking more people were going to get killed. Right? Yeah, there were like no stakes in this, like, and you find out why. At yeah, because the there's really no, there's really no murder, right? But I mean, there's, I mean, I was always sort of like alert. waiting. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. yeah spoiler. There's, th but the scalping is still yeah. right. There's still a scalping. <laughs> yeah. Don't, there's still stuff to be had. Uh, I mean, I think, I think there's an interesting premise here about how, about the importance of hair. <laughs> In society, I, to identity, status, power, etc. Not just by those of us like that have hair, but by those <laughs> that are styling the hair as well. Which is why I think a Christopher Guest type yeah. level of attention to it would have worked. Like if this had been, and I know it's hard to do because you go back to that well where you have these competing people in this kind of like niche world, mm -hmm. you know, where you've got Best mm -hmm. in Show or Mighty Wind, um, or even the the mascots one that came out of it went direct to oh, Netflix a while yeah. back. So doing that again may seem a little, I don't know, superfluous, repetitive, what have you. And so it doesn't have to be guessed. It doesn't have to be fully on tongue in cheek. But you've got this spitfire and cleave and you've got these yeah. other people that are um, you've got this religious woman and you've got kind of this other heavy um, who's under suspicion of, of bribing her way to win the last regional hair competition. Yeah. There should have been more. But like we're so thrown directly in behind the scenes that we're not ever given any sort of like you feel like it's just these three people that are competing against you. You don't ever see you get the Anybody bigness else, right, of, right of it all. And it just seems kind of weird that Well, and to be fair, they do say Cleve says, look, it was it was you, me, and this person. Sure. And that's I mean, but but I mean still, yeah, there was a lot more people there. But you figure with the with the extravagance of the hairstyles, which there's great, and one that catches on fire, um, that has a boat in it and is like huge. It's a and fontage. Tall. <laughs> right. It's a fontage. Um, but we come in and we see uh, one woman with a, you know a multicolored hairstyle that that flows down, the mm -hmm. colors flow down mm -hmm. onto her face. Uh, and then there's one with the inverted diamond heart or whatever her her inverted pair. Inverted she's pair. Talking, he's talking about her face, <laughs> oh, yeah, and she yeah. goes, "Excuse me, inverted <laughs> pair. I think you mean heart shaped diamond. <laughs> heart shaped diamond. Yes, yes, yeah." <laughs> so there's a lot of like, but again, since you're thrown in and it takes you so long to get in, get acclimated to where you've been tossed into, and you're trying to pick up like all these little clues of, clues of who is this? Because Cleve comes in with this huge long like monologue right mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. one about the importance of hair and then also about you know she'll cut a motherfucker who comes <laughs> up to her kind of thing and so yeah it's it it one moves along <clears throat> kind of slowly but also like expects a lot of you and then by the time it's all over with i don't really felt like i but i, I didn't really care like the the yeah. like the, the reveal wasn't as impactful as i think they wanted this to be <laughs> like if you take something like if you compare this to bodies 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 which is a very similar story, right? Um, that reveal is actually funny and kind of eye-opening, and like, of course, it was this ridiculous horseshit all along. Yeah. And the and the story of them like this this paranoia of them all distrusting one another is kind of earned. Where I don't really feel like th these people yeah. already distrusted each other because they were con they were in competition anyway. 
And so, like, since we don't get any real sense of the competition and we don't really pay attention too much to the hairstyles and, like, their love of it, like, I feel like we're kind of cheated a little bit yeah. in the sense that this doesn't really go anywhere. And I think it's I think it's a I think it's a decent effort. I wasn't like bored by it necessarily. I just wanted more from it. And then with a with a concept like this, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really cool. Yeah, I just kind of eh, kind yeah, of me, fell flat. Me too. I would say like I really love the premise. Yeah, and, and then it kind of <laughs> you know, and I think the first the first half I was on board with, and then it really kind of just fell off for me. And I just think that the script probably wasn't strong enough to really get to the end, right? Started off well and then just sort of well, falls off. So by the time you figure out that, and that, and that interesting little dig at Donald Trump, but like that, that, that Angel has been selling Propecia and then, but also his partner, who was the one who got scalped, took it a step further and is actually now selling recreational drugs mm-hmm, through these mm-hmm. two security guards that work this event. Um, and then again, that has no stakes to it, right? I mean, it's not like there's yeah. anything behind that other than just to kind of like further the okay, well, maybe there's a maybe there's a distrust. But by the time you get to that, you're in the last half hour, really kind of twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then at that point, you're 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 already kind of being you're, you're being spit out into the swimming pool. See, area, so and, and I think the idea of like smuggling back like hair loss drugs, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's it's really for, interesting, right. like, and especially in this world, right? Of of hairdressers, of like I said, the high stakes world of regional hairdressing competition. I think that's interesting, but it just doesn't. Nothing's it, really done with it. it. It's it's unfortunate that they latched on to the. The filming method so much. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is a film like where it is it plays to the detriment. Like it's a cool thing to watch the entire time, but again, then when you start playing with the timelines, it, it's it only serves to confuse. Mm-hmm. And then there, when you get to that last twenty minutes, and there are these like flourishes of fancy. Like when we when we cut back to on Helen, he's I mean again where we flash forward an entire year, but he's wearing that cool like cardigan, like this fish cardigan, and like <laughs> you got you've got the you've got the choir that comes in, so you're starting to think that maybe this is like going to brighten up a little bit, right? This that should have been there should have been more if you're going to play with the timelines and play with the timelines at the beginning. Show me the you know show me some of those flourishes right. rather than saving them for the last twenty minutes, and then the whole film does this like. All right, we're gonna bring everybody out in this dance sequence that comes at the end of the se- and during the during the credits. And I'm like, again, if you wanted to have that level of whimsy, why not throw some of that in? Like, yeah. why not make this weirdly and again, not necessarily a musical, but like, give me some of this bizarre. If you're gonna make it weird and you want to make it weird, and you're already in this world of like weird hair anyway, let's make it fucking weird. Like, 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 at least confuse me to the point where I think at the time when at the, by the time the movie's over, it is a good movie, rather than just bore me until it comes to the end. And I'm like, well, I wanted more than that, right? <laughs> right. I mean, uh, this always seems to me kind of an an indication of they didn't know how to end this thing, right? So okay, yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, it's 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 worth checking out, but I'm not going to watch it um, again. Okay, all right. Let's. You know what? Here's what I want to say. A couple of things about a child is waiting, and I want to read a quote from Mr. Cassavetes himself. So look, this is 1963. Cassavetes disowned this film. He got into a clash with the producer Stanley Kramer, who pretty much took over. Right. 
But so it, was, it was Kramer's baby to begin with. <clears throat> right. Right. was a, so Cassavetes after the after he was six, still under contract with <clears throat> uh, cl- no Par- Paramount, Paramount, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Like a, it was like a seven-year contract. Right. And he was <clears throat> he was slated to do two pictures a year. Yeah. Which if you know Cassavetes, how the fuck do you think that's going to happen? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So he came in. Someone else was directing first, and then like. Right, and or they, somebody else they, was signed they, on to direct, and yeah, they got rid of him, and then they right away, and then yeah. they brought Cassavetes in, and then they started to clash. So here, let me just read this quote from. So this is a film about um, school-aged children. With, it's a school for disabled children, right? For stu- for, for children with IDD, right? Intellectually and developmental dis- disabilities. So, in this quote, uh, should I read Cassavetes' real words, or should I replace it? <laughs> Well, Cassavetes uses the word retarded. Nah, this is, that's Because not, this was 63, and this right. is what... Okay, so this is Cassavetes' quote. The use of the word retarded is used by Cassavetes, and I'm being faithful to the quote. The difference in the two versions is that Stanley's picture said that retarded children belong in institutions, and the picture I shot said retarded children are better in their own way than supposedly healthy adults. The philosophy, is, the philosophy of his film was that retarded children are separate and done, or separate and alone, and therefore should be in institutions with others of their kind. My film said that retarded children could be anywhere, anytime, and that the problem is that we're a bunch of dopes. <laughs> that it's our problem more than the kids. I find, look, watch, having watched the final product, I find that interesting because I find it very hard to believe that there was a version of this movie that had these kids have their own agency. <clears throat> now, I sure. know, now, I know that Cassavetes filmed a lot more of the actual children. And, and to this film's credit, I guess, especially in 63, um, you know, these kids with IDD, they, he did actually use kids with actual mm-hmm. IDD. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Ruben was where I got that from um, when I'm trying to tie it in to talk to me. Um, Ruben was a, was a child actor who You did, mean Riley? No, what, right. Ruben is in, in, a, in a Child is Waiting. <laughs> oh, that's why you called him. Right. That's why oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is much like the thread you. of Medusa Deluxe where I enter one scene incorrectly, then I follow a, a wrong character out into another and movie. Then I, okay. I got you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. And just I'm like sorry. Medusa Deluxe, I bored you and you didn't really pick up on where I was going with this. No. No, I stopped listening. <laughs> right. Listener, <laughs> Brock's not actually in the room. I'm just talking, and then he cuts this podcast however he wants to make it sound. And then I just sort of jump in. <laughs> I'm at home with my own like microphone, just adding things in. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> it's an improv, much like, you know, Cassavetes. <laughs> uh, so Ruben was not an actual, he was an actor um, who did not have a disability. He, but, uh, so... Yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's, this movie, like, it's so, it's weird to me that, and again, I, you can tell, like, when you watch this finished project, product, that this is not a Cassavetes film right. at all. Right. Even if you look at, like, something like Too Late Blues, which was a little bit more mainstream than Shadows or Faces, is, it's not this. It's not this, this was a 1963 movie. This was a sweeping score. This was Lancaster being stern and, and. And Garland, Garland being drunk and drugged up, the, God bless her. Well, and and like, these are the kind of movies Kramer makes. Right, right, yeah. He made these kind of, and, and, and so the score, you know, crescendos at the right time. But this is all treacly kind of horse shit. Mm-hmm. The movie is not very good. It's got decent reviews on IMDb, but this movie is not, it's just boring. This is something you would watch on a Sunday afternoon on TV. 
It doesn't have really anything to say, and it treats these kids like 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 Casavetta says. The, it treats these kids like they should be in an institution, right? And and, right. and, and there's one scene at the at the end, like where they go into the adult section of this institution that is really really shitty, and just like really really demeaning, and and it's 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 done as a way to bring down so judy garland's character in this movie we want to continue to talk about this say, yeah judy garland's character in this movie is a teacher who is looking for some sort of uh place in her life to give back and she decides on this um she's a woman in her 30s quote unquote Ooh, uh that spinster uh, <laughs> hasn't that doesn't have a man uh and she's a, a music student so she comes upon this institution and she befriends Ruben and Burt Lancaster's like, you can't treat them, one of them differently than the rest of them. And and so you've got to treat them tough and you've got to be, you right. know, and, and blah, 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 blah. She blah. has new methods. He doesn't improve. <laughs> right. And unlike Dangerous Minds, Judy Garland's <laughs> wrong in this case. So th they bring her into the adult section of this. And basically the, the point is from Lancaster's perspective is like, if we don't do this, this is where they're going to end up. And it's very one clue of the cuckoo's nest kind of mm -hmm. it's just i mean like it's 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 very todd browning freaks too it's just it's kind of a disturbing scene but not because of these people just because of how they're portrayed right, right? They, right. i mean there's like they're throwing the ball one of the it's just i don't know it's yeah. really really poorly done um and i can see 1963 with these uh, you know idd had never been displayed on screen before at least especially by actors who actually had idd I can see where it's somewhat groundbreaking, and I can see where Kramer was going for this, but but yeah, this is a, at the rap party, um, <laughs> Garland gets in her limo. <laughs> and Garland's going through some shit at this time. Like, right. Garland's not having right. a good time. She's, you know, I read one review, and this is not my terminology here, as we've already used yeah. some of but they called her pudgy, and like, and it was just oh, like... Jesus. And and she doesn't look like night. She doesn't look like she's been kept on pills like she was in Wizard of Oz. She gets into her, and she had a really hard time with the with the actors who were mm -hmm. IDD. So mm -hmm. that was very. She was already going through some emotional shit. So and then also, you know, putting yourself into a room full of emotionally needy person that like that. I mean, obviously, that's not going to help her out any. She gets into her limo, and like everyone's having like a good rap party, like you know, hugging, <laughs> saying goodbye. And so Judy just doesn't say shit. She gets into her limo and they roll down her window and it was like, oh, she's just going to tell goodbye to us all. Get goodbye. And she's like, fuck you all. And then she just drives off. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, this, 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 the, the, the film is important in the sense that this fucks Cassavetes over for a good six years. So when he confronts Kramer and there's, there's conflicting reports of whether he punched Kramer or not. Cassavetes said he didn't punch him. Um, but he, but they were in a screening room together, and he like he did confront him. He yeah. did pin him up against the wall, and like it was uh, um, Cassell. Cause, cause so the way that the story goes is that Kramer and, and Cassavetes are like Kramer calls Cassavetes and say we're going to do, a, I'm a, you know, I recut this. We're going to do a screening together, and you tell me what you think, and if you don't mm -hmm. like it, we, mm -hmm. I'll I'll listen to one at your cut. And there was like, it's just going to be me and you in the screening room. So <laughs> Castle, his Cassavetes friends, he's, he's driving him up there. And Cassavetes gets into the room, and there's like nine studio guys. So he runs out of the out of the place and grabs Castle. Like, look, I need you. Like, yeah. I don't want to be in this thing by myself. So like, Castle comes in and they watch this movie. After it's all over, Cassavetes is like, "This is bullshit." And like, he pins Kramer up against the wall. And Castle's like, "Why didn't you hit him?" He's like, 
I, I want to work again. It's just not like I'm not stupid. Like this is this is as hot headed as I'm going to possibly get into this case. But but yeah. So this is this sends him back home. And then Gina Rowlands um, is basically taking care of the fi- family finances. She's acting during this time frame. She was also in Child Is Waiting. Right. Yes. And and she has so she's on a TV show at this point. Um, and and then. Uh, John is writing and basically being a stay-at-home dad, writing, gardening, just, just kind of like collecting himself. But and he was acting here and there, like mm-hmm. he did um, Alfred Hitchcock Hour. He did like a couple of right. other like um, you know kind of gun for hire, smaller stuff, right, yeah. right, bounty law type things where you can show up. And, <laughs> yes. And then you know finally he was like, look, I'm I want to direct again. And like Gina Rollins was like, I I thought we would just act together. I thought we would be an acting couple together. I mean, she was like, but if John wants to do this, then John wants to do this. So. He got the bug again, and it was like he'd written the, this script, and was like, "Let's let's you know, let's fucking invent American independent cinema, dude. Yeah. Let's let's do this shit." <laughs> yeah, and then that's where Faces comes in, right? What are you gonna sell us this time, Harry? Money. Actually, it's a very good film. We call it the uh, Dolce Vita of the commercial field. We were trying to capture several approaches, and we came up with an impressionistic document that shocks. Is that so? I don't think it's so much shocks as it's honest. It's honest, but it's a good piece in itself. So you see, we're a, a, a little nervous about hitting you with this. Oh, now they've got nothing to be nervous about. It's a shot in the dark, but it's strong and it's attractive. Yeah, it better be better than the last one, Harry. Wait, let's see it, J.P. I'd rather hear him talk about it. We'll again. talk about it later, J.P. All right, I don't roll it. Nice segue. <laughs> so you want to tell that us, was good. Want to tell that us was what good. Faces is about? Sure. Richard Forrest has grown old and dissatisfied and bored. One night, he leaves his wife for Jeannie Rapp, a young woman, and maybe a prostitute. I'm not quite sure. But so we can. Everything that I read said she was a prostitute. I know. Me too. But but she has a house. <laughs> well, <laughs> and she so, serves breakfast. Yeah. So I. I but I want to touch on. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh, Jeannie Rapp, a young woman and maybe prostitute, who does not like friendship. Friends are phony, she says. Meanwhile, Richard's wife, Maria, spends the evening with her middle-aged friends at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Later, she is seduced by Chet, a kind young man who is also an aging, free-associating playboy that they picked up at the bar. This is a film about the meaningless of life for a certain section of people. Um, this film captures a disintegrating middle-class marriage and the malaise of a middle-class life, right? Shot in a high-contrast black-and-white 16-millimeter cinema verite style, similar to Shadows, but I think really refined, and especially the acting. Yeah, it's one of those things as you go, like, looking at how a child is waiting, is shot, and then immediately you look at faces and you're like, this is not the same director. Well, even like Too Late Blues. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Shadows, Too Late Blues, this? What the fuck? I mean, it's it's this, you know, and again, we keep going back to Bobby Darren being mm-hmm. an embodiment of Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. And probably being right about his career. But like, it's, it's hard to argue um, when you see the opening scenes of... Faces, and especially as you get back to well, one the opening scene, 
is brilliant because you're you're brought in. It's like it's such a fuck you. It is, it is. such so, a beautiful so, fuck. You. So basically, you you follow Forrest and and in this group of men in this screening room and woman. Yeah, it, true, true, true. Oh yeah, it's this older woman who's probably financing Ooh. the film. Where like he's part of the old studio yeah. head, right? Yeah. Um, and they all sit down and they're talking about it's this Dulce Verde, like, or whatever. I don't forget what well, it's the like advertising, term. though, right? I mean, it's right. like an advertising film because Force is like, What are you selling us today? And like, Money. <laughs> and they start talking about this film and they're all kind of like uncertain, except for one guy was like, No, it's, 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 it's great, right? It's honest. It's like, right. it's a real shot at something new, right? <laughs> so they all sit down and the, and, the, and the screen goes to black and then we're just yeah, faces. faces. It's, it's, like, it's so great. It's really, really it's, good. It's, yeah. Pretty um, meta. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then, and then, so we go directly into the Losers uh, Club, which is a bar that they're at, which I think is a wonderful name for a bar. <laughs> it's so, yeah, oh, it's great. <laughs> and, and Forrest and his and his buddy are basically kind of uh, hitting on these women, and they're drunk and they're acting like assholes. And, and his friend, his friend, drives them home drunk for sure. Drives them home drunk. <laughs> Never waste good liquor. <laughs> <laughs> and they go back to Jeannie's house because these are both two married men mm-hmm. who are. This is probably four o'clock in the afternoon when they've got off work. Right, right, <laughs> so right. It's early. early. <laughs> yeah, it's early still. Yeah, and then that, yeah, so they come out of the club and they go back to Jeannie's house, and they're both kind of competing for her attention. Attention, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is so this masculine kind of banter and and bravado comes up between two men, and one of them, if forces clearly the. I wouldn't necessarily call far as call him alpha, but like he's the more steadied hand in all of this. And, he and seems more secure, kind of with who he is or what he's doing. Right, right, and it could come from money or position at you know and, and work or, or ennui. Or, oh, yeah, or just yeah, <laughs> just that little je ne sais quoi that just like fuck it that those cool guys have. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 Jeannie is clearly taken with with Forrest. I mean, she uh, has a connection with him. And so there's a there's a bond between the two of them. So as the other as what's his friend's name is it's uh, a, Fred 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 yeah. who's so played by Fred Draper <laughs> right right exactly. So as Fred's bouncing around trying to get her attention and trying to be the goofball, um, you know he steps on toes. He he doesn't quite know how to do it. And and it's and obviously all of his attempts are seen as a little pathetic. So as he starts to lose this battle between two men, he insults both of them at that point. And then basically the final insult happens when he asked Jeannie how much she was actually going to charge them for yeah. the night. Was it a hundred dollars yeah. or whatever? And so that's the reason I think that, you know, that she is that she is a call girl, although it it, it is a weird I don't know what call girls were like in nineteen sixty eight. I'm like so or these high level call girls. Right. Maybe just women who were paid for their uh, companionship and then it, 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 it could either go either way, right? Right. Because there's I mean th- I mean there is sex in this movie, but there's never um, illicit paid for sex in this movie, or, right. or I mean that we, I mean at least it we, we assume transactional, right? right. I mean, so. right, right. And so I mean that's why it's always kind of like okay, I, I can see why we would call her that, but it's never really made apparent. She doesn't have like a client book. She doesn't have I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't come off like that, right? Like, I mean, she even says sort of you know I'm like 28. I'm too old to sort of. Like, you know. Right. She clearly seems like she's looking for something, especially in force as as a as an older man and and understanding his most likely understanding his marital relationship is mm-hmm. that the reason that he comes or is coming to her and who knows how this all transpires because we're only given snippets, right? But one would imagine that he's at least expressed disinterest and and uh, dissatisfaction with his own married life. Yeah. 
So as the evening devolves and and uh, Jeannie's upset and everyone's upset, everyone leaves Jeannie's house and and Forrest goes back to his home, where his wife is jovially cock talking to her friend on the phone and and th- their banter back and forth is is interesting, really really interesting, and like how it all plays out. Um, you know, it's 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 mostly friendly, uh, um, it's mostly loving. Uh, the first ever on-screen talk of Cunnilingus is is made yeah. Um, yeah. in 1968. Yeah. <laughs> but you notice how like it it is it, there's this kind of banter back and forth, and and you get little sort of barbs or little digs, but nothing too tough, right? More mm-hmm. playful. But they're also just continually talking around things. They never really say anything. And I mean, this is more, I mean, I, I know that this is sort of a hallmark of Cassavetti's dialogue where it is just people trying to figure out what they're trying to say. Right. But that seems so real in this moment of like these two people that are that have some kind of tension and they just can't say what it is. Right. <clears throat> and so this this feels to me like forced second marriage. Like this feels like, <laughs> like so like he's clearly older than his wife. And you know, she is her a, first acting role, first professional right, acting role. Crazy. Uh, she's really, really good in this. She got nominated. Amazing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's yeah, and rightfully so. Oh, right? she, yeah, yeah. No, she's great. Um, so she is a stay-at-home wife, um, but clearly bored throughout the throughout the day. I mean, these these are people of means. She wants to go to the movies, right? She wants to go to the movies. She wants to see an Ingmar Bergman film. Yeah. He doesn't want to be bored tonight. <laughs> I thought that grand line was great. But you always like foreign films. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be bored tonight. Um, and so there's something good on TV, so they back and forth. He clearly sees this relationship as one-sided, where he can come home and demand food, demand drinks, sex. cigarettes, sex. And she doesn't necessarily... I mean, she wants to have a, a relationship. She's not a sex machine. Right, she's, she's not a sex <laughs> machine, right? Absolutely. They do end up having sex. You see them later on. Isn't that a flashback? Oh, I thought that was... I didn't think so. So I didn't catch this until probably, I think, several times, like, watching it. But so they, they have dinner. They, they argue, mm-hmm. right? And he goes into the pool room. Right. I mean, like to, to he's gonna like, like billiards, not like the pool house, right? <laughs> right, right. And he, so he's in the pool room, and then we cut to that scene in bed, right, right. But then we cut back, and he's leaving the pool room. Yeah, you may be right. So I, I don't know because it confuses me. And she's still wearing the same thing when he goes out and right, tells she her, puts that dress with the fringe on the, the sleeves. You may not have caught that. <laughs> no, no, it's the same dress that right that she but was wearing. She's when... in bed, but then she has like the. Same when he comes back out, she's wearing the same thing that she did. was wearing the entire time. Yeah, she was on the couch, right? So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Look, look. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're wrong. <laughs> it's okay either way, <laughs> right? But, but I think the important, the important thing there is there is that scene of them in bed playing around, right, horsing around, sort of postcoital, sort of right. whatever. But then there's still that tension because he just rolls over and goes asleep, and so does she. Right, and then eventually, as the night progressive, he he just says, "I want a divorce," and leaves, <laughs> and straight up fucking leaves, yeah. Yeah. and goes back to the bar to look. Calls Genie, right, yeah. right, yeah. right in front of his wife, right, <clears throat> which is fucked up. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this whole. I mean, I know that's not that that's intended. It's still fucked. right, it's, right. It's very, very harsh, and she's just kind of sitting there, yeah. right. Then she decides to meet up with her girlfriends. To kind of do a kind of what's good for the goose is good for the gander type of a situation. She goes out and meets with her friends. 
Um, she brings back Chet, who's Seymour Cassell, this like blonde, either, depending on different reviews you read, he's either a surfer or a hippie. And I guess that probably says more about the reviewer than it does anything else. <laughs> he's just, he's really carefree. Right. He's really just kind of, hey, whatever, man. Like, right. He's looking whatever to have a good happens. Time yeah. all he the just time, wants basically. to have a good time, right? Lay down and make it. That's, that's <laughs> what he wants to do. You're going to meet a lady sometimes. You're gonna, yeah, and yeah. just lay down and, yeah. This this scene when they come back to Maria, back to Dickie and Maria's house, and they're playing records and dancing, this is a heartbreaking scene. But it's also so telling, I think, of what Cassavetes knows about human nature and mm -hmm. what he gets. So the actress, who's kind of the oldest among them, and I think the character's name is Florence, Florence, played by Dorothy Gulliver, who was a silent film star. Uh, she's the oldest there, but she's also the one just wanting the most attention. I mean, she is hanging on Chet, asking for a kiss, playing playing this up, you know, according to her friends, embarrassing herself. But watching this, you kind of go, yeah, of, of, of course. I mean, Cassavetes is so smart in showing us that, that women, men of a certain age still want to be touched a certain way, still want a kind of attention, whether that's love, sex, or something just platonic. I just think it's, I think it's heartbreaking, but I think it's really really nuanced and sort of smart. Well, you, you have to imagine that the scene that happens with Forrest and his wife has also happened with all the other <laughs> women, and not necessarily on that same night. Right. But this is, this is, this is an indictment of this, especially this kind of <laughs> mid-century marriage that existed, yeah. where it's, you know, and again, not that this has disappeared by any means. I was going to say. But these, these, these older men with these necessarily young, or just in general, men and women, not knowing how to communicate with one another, um, dancing around and, 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 and having jocularity, but then also just spinning out of control back into anger when, when, when either you know, when needs are, are miscommunicated or not met. Um, and then, you know, devolving into just this, I want a divorce and I'm, I'm leaving and we're going to, you know, we're going to spend, and we'll see this coming up in husbands as well. Yeah. But like in, in this one, this is like the, this is so, so much cinema verite. And you're so much thrown into these conversations. And th this, this movie is, like I said, it's pretty inaccessible in a way that, like, the, the dialogue is, like, constantly moving up and, and, and down in volume. There's overlapping dialogue. This movie's very hard to, like, you have to fucking kind of dig yourself into it and pay attention. Um, so a couple of things on that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to no, like, no, interrupt you, but, but so... You know, they use body mics. Right. 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 Because so there's no marks. Right, right. Right. They just move around. And Cassavetes lets the camera go. And sometimes things are in focus. Sometimes they're not. He doesn't care. All he cares about is what they're doing. And if he gets that, like, that's it. But right. they, they use body mics, which are not as good quality, but that way they can move around and they can sort of do whatever they want. They, I guess they shot around at the beginning, like 2,000 feet of film. And the sound guy messed up <laughs> and they couldn't, they took it to like specialty labs and everything else. And they couldn't get the sound to sync up. These, these like experts were like, just got to start over. And Casper is like, I can't start over. We have no money. Right? right. And so when it looks like it's out of sync, it's cause it is cause they did like the <laughs> best they could to put it back together. Right. But, but that's part of the fucking charm. And I think brilliance of the film right. too. And, and, and none of this ever seems 
forced or like, again, and this is obviously going to Cassavetes' style, but all of this seems improvised. He'd be asked over and over and over again in his career, you know, you know, do you script? Do you, or are your actors all improvising? Um, and, and so this all feels like you're dropped in. And a lot of the, con a lot of the conversation is nonsense talk. I mean, especially when C Castle's yeah. talking, it's just... <clears throat> All over. Well, the he flow. made up the song. <laughs> Give me right. the red meat, mama. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I mean, so if you, <laughs> so he just, yeah, he made that up like on the spot. But apparently, I was, you know, watching some of the making of and and, and some of his films. But you know, Rollins is really sort of adamant. She's like, everything is scripted. John wrote a script for everything. She's like, now what happens when we get in there? He gives us free reign to sort of do what comes naturally. And that's why he kept the camera Tim rolling as much, so they right. could just sort of do whatever they wanted. Um, and they would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. Apparently, they would rehearse for hours before they ever shot. Right. So I guess on, um, when Castle comes into the film, the first day, you know, he starts to rehearse. You know, um, Cassavetes is not happy with this performance, so he just shuts it down. He's like, you know, God damn it, Seymour. And they just... Well, I thought he was like, nice to him. It's though. over. Like I, it's, what I read was that he was nice to him the first... Like, oh, the like, first time. But then, like, the second time, he's like, get into it, right? Right, right, right. right. And then, like, the third day, everyone gets there, and he's like, go home. He's like, we're not going to shoot today. <laughs> and, and everyone's like, what? And then the next day, it was, like, amazing. It, it clicked. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, so I, I love that. that I, yeah, I think everyone thinks that it's just pure improv when it's not. I mean, it's... He just gives them... You know, he tells them, I guess... I, I wrote the script. I gave it to you. Now it's yours. Have you heard the story about him? Um, I mean, him in the actor studio. So like, wait, wait. He, he gets <laughs> he the, pretended. Well, so he gets he got turned down for the actor yeah. studio the first time because I mean that was all the rage, right? So mm -hmm. every actor was trying to get in the actor studio, and they were and, all method, right? They turned him down, and then I guess after he did Shadows, or maybe it was Too Late Blues, one of the two. It might have been Shadows. Kareem, he's got a little cachet. He goes back and auditions yeah. for them again. And they're like, of course, you can come. And like, they don't even, I don't even think they really made him audition. It was it's more like they like invited, a, invited him, him, right? And he's like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing. And like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to put you out of business kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, well, it was him and Lane. Didn't they both go in and sort yeah. of like basically took the piss, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I mean, this guy's like dear to my heart. <laughs> After my own heart there. It really is, a, 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 you know. It, I mean, it really is Darren and Too Late Blues. It's it's a matter of I don't give a sh In fact, if you like my work too much, I'm going to change it so you like it a lot less. And, like, I want you to be uncomfortable. I want you to see what I like. It, this this idea of it's my ball and I'm going to fucking rip in two if you if you, and rather than let you yeah. play with it. I mean, it's just you're either going to play my game or you're not. And this is why he worked with so many of the same people because they all bought in. Right. I mean, it's, right. it seems like all these actors. Well, Roland said that, uh, her hardest thing was that she thought that because the director was her lover, that everything that she did was going to be seen as great. And as soon as she started <laughs> like stop, <clears throat> as soon as she stopped reacting to him as, as her husband, and as a director, she got along with them a lot better. Yeah. Like, it all worked out a lot better. But, like, it was really hurtful. It, you know, when she's doing this movie, and it's really hurtful that he's yeah. treating her just like he would any other actor in this yeah. case. Yeah, and then And she was pregnant. Yeah, she was pregnant. Because so yeah. she was going, going to do the Maria role. Right. But it was more physical, more demanding. Well, so, so she, was Maria. And then she was, like, five minutes pregnant, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think yeah. she even says that. Linda Carlin says, like, all right, I'm five minutes. Or Lynn Carlin says, I'm, like, five minutes pregnant, so we're going to do this. I need to do, <laughs> do it. it now, yeah, um, yeah there's, a, there's the the story where they are doing, I think, like, the song and dance scene early on. And, you know, he's not happy with it. And they're doing all these takes. 
And Rowan says something like, okay, well, you know, how many more do we need to do? Because like, I'm not feeling or whatever. And Cassie is like, oh, do you need to like take a break? She's like, get it fucking done. (laughs) (laughs) But two, I mean, a lot of these actors would say that he didn't really direct. He was sort of in a weird, like roundabout way, tell you what he wanted you to do. Right. And then, and then they would kind of figure that out and, and go from there. Yeah, and it, it frustrated a lot of, especially a lot of first-time people going on his, I mean, yeah. so that, like, like you're right, I mean, that's the reason he works with Falk and Gazar and, yeah. and all these guys so many more times is because once you get it, you get it. And once you're, I think once you're in that inner circle, I think it would be very difficult to be friends with Cassavetes. I think it would be very volatile. But I think once sure. you're in that circle sure. and you can figure out how, because I think he wanted you to punch back at him. Oh, I think he wanted you to fuck with him. There's like a story about him sitting in a bar one time and this bodybuilder comes in. And it was, and he, and him like very loudly with a friend of his, like basically just saying how stupid it was to spend that all that kind of time on, you know, perfecting your body. And the, and the guy gets up and walks over to him and he's like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to resort to violence? Just like you think, like you, you like you're, <laughs> you're going to play to my stereotype. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's like, okay. <laughs> and the guy just got up and turned. I mean, that, but that was kind of his personality was just like, he liked to instigate. Yeah. He liked to push buttons. Um, and it was just, it, it's, I would imagine like, that guy's an asshole, but I mean, it's, but he's kind of a cool asshole to hang out with especially if he's a friend of yours. Yep. yep. And I, you know, again, and it's not that like, I certainly don't want to like dismiss toxic masculinity, especially as it comes through like this, because he was a heavy drinker and like, and, and by all means, I, but again, but by all means, beloved by the people who worked with him. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. It's, I don't want to dismiss that type of belittling but also it's one of those things where it's like this level of genius and this level of auteurism it it just i don't know if it it speaks to um i don't think these films exist without that type of mentality sure this is a guy who saw everything that everything that i mean like and this is a guy who influenced scorsese and altman right and fucking everybody who came after this, you know, this time frame, showing them that you don't have to do this Douglas Sirk shit that's that's going on. I know you used that reference in the last episode, but like still the same, like this, you know, these all that heaven allows type films that, that, that existed in the time frame. You can do something different. You can have a different voice. You can be realistic. You can fucking talk about oral sex on screen. You can show people in pain. You can show people and not define the message that you're putting out there. You don't have to fucking wrap it up in a nice little bow. This movie does not, does not end, end in a bow. <laughs> no, no. And this, this is what I, I mean, one of the things I love about this film is that it shows us this different part of a different world, right? I, you know, I think on paper, all these people should be quote unquote happy, but this is a film about ordinary people in an ordinary life trapped by doing all the things that our society tells them to do. Right. They got married when they got, when they were supposed to get married, they were, they're supposed to stay at home and be a housewife. They're supposed to do X. And if they do X, Y, and Z, that leads to a happy life. And none of them, they're all fucking miserable. Dickie forced, um, played by John Marley says to Jeannie at a certain point, Jeannie says to him, like they're finally alone. Right. And and he's sort of making this kind of overture. He's like, I, I she's like, why'd you come over here? He's like, I want to play with you and see what develops. And I'm like, okay, this is that's kind of funny. Right. And she's like, what do you want? And he just goes, I'm a mild success and a dull profession, and I want to start over again. And I think that that is one brilliant and crushing. Right. But also as you see Jeannie's face, 
and what she wants and realizing that this is not the fucking guy for mm-hmm. her. That mm-hmm. whole sequence where she's like, I just want you to say Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. And he's just like, I want to start over. And then he comes out of that room repeating it. And she goes up and hugs him. And, mm-hmm. and these are just mm-hmm. two fucking broken people who do not. And like, and so that one moment of like, I'm going to let myself believe this is true. Yep. But I know as soon as we, you know, we break this embrace that we're both going back to our broken lives and that nothing is nothing is true yeah. other than I'm here by myself. And she makes lousy eggs. <laughs> right. But, I just, but I, I think, I'm, just, I'm sorry, no, no, I, no. I just want to say too that like Cassavetes gets the women in this story as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that it is a, I mean, the toxic masculinity, I, I, I don't know enough to call him a misogynist? I mean, in terms of like... Sure. No, I mean, he's an I unhappy mean, guy, right? Right, I mean, like, right. And, and well, I just mean Cassavetes in oh, general. Oh, I guess right, right? Saying, yeah. I mean, he has his own reign of toxic masculinity, but I never see any kind of like misogyny on screen. No. Right? I see him looking at these men and going, these are flawed, assholeish men, but I know how to write and show you these women as well. Well, it's an interesting... We probably should have picked that thread up when we get back to husbands. Yeah. I do think that yeah. when, it, when that came out, there was a lot of feminist backlash to... <clears throat> Um, to that movie specifically because of the the ending, well, and the violence against women in the in the you know from Gazara's. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, but but especially in this one, no, I think we're just watching miserable people do. Yeah, I mean, again, this is just a, a, a you know, pulling back the curtain and and really kind of revealing that prescription of life does not end up how you think it's going to end up. Yeah. And again, this is, I can't think of a, of a time that this was told in this way before he started coming along and telling these yeah. stories, especially not in the U.S. Anyway. No, right. I mean, it is very kind of new wave-ish, and this is probably oh, right around the same time. No, I mean, a little after, after yeah. a lot of the, the kind of new wave stuff, so, I mean. And he was really only beloved in Europe. Right. <laughs> until, in <laughs> fact, it wasn't until Faces became a hit in the United States um, that he really, this was kind of, you know, uh, this was the one that allowed him to do basically everything else yeah. from here on out. Yeah. Um, Pauline Kale hated it. Of course she did. Everyone loved it except for Pauline Kale. Pauline Kale, she said it was badly performed, right? The yeah. acting was, uh, cru- and, and everything else was crudely conceived. <laughs> yeah. But she hated all of these films though. Like it was, she hated him. Right. And I yeah, mean, she definitely hated him. I mean, that's a very kind of, <laughs> right. They ran out of money. So Cassavetes took like five acting jobs. Including the Dirty Dozen, right, right, to to finance this on his own, right, right. I mean, he and Rounds. I don't mean to like discount Rounds because mm-hmm. they were very much a partner in in all of this. So, um, so let's. Um, so the, the so we see uh, Genie and, and first uh, forced um, embrace. All the while, we've got uh, Gisele. He drives home the older woman, comes back to Forced Wife um, Lydia, was that, Maria, 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 Maria. Lydia's her real name, right? Lynn is her yeah. real name. He comes back to Reuben and Riley. And the house. <laughs> I caught it that time. <laughs> uh, they have sex, but and when they wake up in the morning, she's tried to kill herself <laughs> by taking pills. Gasell mm. uh, tries to wake her. He calls the emergency response team, uh, which evidently is a thing that you can call at the, in 1968. Uh, but then, like, makes her makes her. Um, Vomit. You vomit and to put her in a shower. I think where she wins or where she's nominated for the Oscar is this scene afterwards, which are, where they're both talking oh, and she's yeah. got, 
you know, she's smoking and coughing and she's got mascara running down her face and she's in a nightgown. Um, and basically he's just telling him, you know, I understand what you, you want to hate me. Fine. You can hate me. I'll give you reasons to hate me. Um, you know, and, and it's, it, yeah, it's another heartbreaking scene of a woman who's been broken by life. She thought she was doing something that would bring her joy or immediate, you know, just kind of some sort of fleeting moment of joy. And it just deepened her pain. Um, and then Cassell jumps out the window uh, as her husband comes home. <laughs> her husband sees him jump out the window and run down the street. Um, and then they have another confrontation. He confronts her as if he hasn't been right, sleeping right. around as well. As if he didn't ask for a divorce. And then we're left with an empty stairwell as they both kind of um, go their separate ways. He goes up the stairs, she goes down. Um, and there's, you know, there's no real resolution. There's no real... We don't know what's going to happen with them. We assume they're probably going to stay married to one another and stay miserable. Um, but yeah, it's, the end it's faces. Just, it's so good. It, just, it really, I mean, like, again, this, I think there's a couple of movies that will will uh, come close. But I, I mean, I think, do think this is probably his magnum this opus. This sort of feels like, right. yeah, the apex. And I mean, I love the... The, the close-ups, right? Trying to tell the story of interiority with these extreme close-ups, right? These these sort of like partial kind of looks on nose and eyes. And it's just... But it's so haunting because of that. Well, and he does... I mean, like everyone he... I mean, weirdly enough, everyone he does and have in this movie has such great... Especially the four main players have such great faces. I mean, like, yeah. so yeah. Roland is... I mean, like, just as he frames her, it's so loving and like so sad and when she's on, when she's only on the screen. And Force has got this kind of lived-in, like, oh. you know, kind of just weathered and and and, and world-weary face, uh, and great and great hair. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, but, no, hair. but I mean, his, his his face really is is great, and the lines there sort of belie what he's seen and what he's what he's done. I mean, this is a man who a few years later will wake up with a horse's head in his bed. <laughs> right. He's probably thirty-five <laughs> in this movie. Actually, yeah, right. <laughs> Someone says 48, and I'm like, no. <laughs> right. I don't think so. Uh, funny story about Cassell running down the, uh, running out of the window. Um, so Cassell, again, is he's a he's a fresh off the boat kind of guy yeah. here. And so they run down, and they don't catch it the first time. They, so they make him do it a second time, where he jumps out the window, jumps down a 13-story, not 13-story, but a 13-foot drop and runs down this hill. And then has to run back up the hill, and... Cassavetes after the second time is like yeah let's get it one more time they make him do it six times and like he's like I mean at this point he's like sweating and like breathing hard he comes back up the hill the sixth time and Cassavetes can't hold it anymore he's, he's been he's been fucking with him <laughs> since, the whole time. Since, 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 since take two like they got it on take two they were just going to see how long he would do it without saying something <laughs> oh it's funny they were talking about how how like how many favors they got making this film and and like just like people being nice right, right? somebody right. let let them use their screening room mm -hmm. right for the opening scene the guy was like yeah just give me a call when you're done and we'll we'll lock it up right he's like okay and they were shooting in the whiskey a go go and ruben was trying to light it and only had like you know a handful of lights and 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 so i think the director of photography was there with a friend who be, who ended up becoming this like big shot in the lighting industry or whatever, and he's like, "Well, we just finished up. My guys will drop some stuff off, like this huge truck full of everything they needed." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, just let me know when you're done. We'll come load it back up." And I'm just like, "Man, they're like that happened just like over and over and over again." Where and Casavetes really hustled for this film too. Like, I mean, like he knew it's like it, it played 
in Venice and did really well. But that was the same thing that happened. <laughs> but with but no, but they didn't have subtitles. <laughs> like a bunch, <laughs> it won a bunch How of awards, you? but people like walked out because <laughs> they couldn't understand. Right. <laughs> and it played for like eighteen weeks at a yeah. small theater in New York, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, and he was outside, like, just. I mean, and like, so he had to get it played in New York in, in the New York Film Festival. Um, and then like it, it, it was making the rounds of so some, I think Columbia finally picked it up, um, to, to distribute it. But anyway, it was playing in, um, I mean, it, it started getting buzz. It started playing in California and like these screening yeah. room areas. Uh, one of the stories was that, um, Castle was an unknown, like nobody knew who he was, but he, um, was trick-or-treating with his kids in Beverly Hills and like and trick-or-treated at Ozzy and Harriet's house and they like brought him <laughs> in yeah. like oh you're that guy in faces it's like, just like and he's like looking around waiting for the TV kids to come down the stair while he's like freaking out about <laughs> oh okay. but I mean like it just goes to like to, to I mean like to uh, Cassavetes' belief in the talent and also an understanding kind of like understanding that if he didn't get American success Especially this time out, where no one was uh, was going to ever give him another dollar to make another movie, right? And so the fact that he was able to get this and like get it hailed at, and then like you know they lost they they were nominated for three Oscars, but they lost them all. But again, even then, it was still a boon for them to be, um, you know. Yeah. So that's still a big deal, and especially for like first time. Well, especially for this movie, like again, you're again the things that you're talking about, the things that you're showing, <clears throat> and the um, way you're showing it, and the way you're showing it. Yeah, I mean, it's this is not. This is not a clean, pretty picture. This is a this is a slice of life, like you said, cinema verite, shot on sixteen millimeter. Um, you know, over the course of two years, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's a crazy achievement, and the fact that you know, again, it was such a voice, and it would give such inspiration to these these other filmmakers that were. I mean, hell, Spielberg. I think it was. This, was this one the word that Spielberg worked on he for a little like, bit? Yeah, um, he was like a runner or something. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't it on, on this one? I'm pretty sure it was this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't, it had to. Well, it had to been because after that, yeah, right. Um, yeah, because he shares an office with all. He shares a room with Altman. And, Altman's across the hall, and yeah. that's where Lynn Carlin was Altman's secretary. <laughs> and when when he found out, he fired her. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, you're fired. <laughs> So any last words on faces? Other than uh, it's just a brilliant piece. Of I love it. Work. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah, it's yep. it's one of those ones that I think you need to you need to live in for a little bit too. I don't mm. I don't think a first pass is going to do it justice. Um, no, and, and 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 look, frankly, because of the sound, put the subtitles on. It, it will help because and and, on, yeah. and and I'm not. A, I usually wouldn't say that, but because of the way the sound works, the body mics, and then the cutting in and out, it it helps to catch some. some, some otherwise, like, I think. Otherwise, get ready to use your volume cue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up and down, up and down. Right. Up and down. <laughs> um, okay, speaking of another mumbly film, um, let's talk about husbands. I recognize some. I don't know others, but I know one thing. That you're all saddened. Saddened by the loss of what we all consider a great, great friend. Not a friend in need, particularly. Not a friend giving to a friend. Not ready there to listen. But a person who made you feel that you belonged. And has offered God our prayers for his returns. And now, a silent prayer. 
silent moment to recognize Jackson. You know, it's a terribly, it's a terribly sad thing when a man reaches around 27, gets well, the years are going by, and then he he realizes that he's never going to be a professional athlete anymore. And then, then you reach 30, and then you know it's over, and then you begin to watch other athletes, and you begin to see when they're going to give up. Do you ever feel that way? I felt that When the legs go at 35, the legs. I got a hell of an idea. Let's have a light breakfast. You know what I mean? A stick, a stump, it's the end of the road. It's the rest of a stump, it's a little alone. It's a sliver of glass, it is life, it's the sun. It is night, it is death, it's a trap, it's a gun. The oak when it blooms, a fox in the brush. The knot of the wood, the song of a thrush. The wood of the wind. A cliff, a fall, a scratch, a lump, it is nothing at all. It's the wind blowing free, it's the end of the slope. It's a beam, it's a void, it's a hunch, it's a hope. I've been telling my wife she is. Aside from sex, but she's very good at it. God damn it. I like you guys better. I really do. Now, who the hell else could put up with me, huh? I'm a jerk, I know. So let's go home and get it over. A stick, a stone, the end of the load. The rest of us come alone, some road. A sliver of glass, a life, a sun, a night, a death. The end of the run and the riverbank talks of the walk of the march. It's the end of all strain, it's the joy in your heart. Don't do that to me, I'll kill you. I love you. I love you both. Get away from me. Let's go home and get it over with. You fairy. A comedy about life, death, and freedom. Okay, look, there is no real plot to this film. Rather, there's a premise. Right. right. So, Gus, Archie, and Harry, men in their 40s, friends since childhood, go on a four-day bender after another friend suddenly dies. After the funeral, they spend two days riding the subway around New York, playing basketball, drinking, holding an impromptu singing contest at a bar. <laughs> Harry goes home and has a nasty fight with Jason, alluded to, with his wife, and decides to fly to London. Archie and Gus go with him. Right? They check into a hotel, order new clothes, go gambling at a casino, meet three women, and they all go back to the hotel where they pair off right, with the different women. These dalliances all end in their own special kind of disaster. <laughs> Harry stays in London while Archie and Gus go back to New York. At the airport, they buy gifts for their kids. <laughs> while they're splitting them up, each asks the other what Harry is going to do without them. That's the movie. That's the movie. All right, fun talk. All right, <laughs> <laughs> so next time on the Bite as Well, no, sir. You know, so one of the criticisms of this film is the way that they act and in the way that they behave. But I want to say that they are grieving, and I don't feel like there's a lot of real, a lot of thought given to that by some of the critics, right, that, that sort of called this out. I mean, 
Kale called it what infantile and offensive. Right. right. If there was anything that you keep in maybe 20 minutes and that was basically it. Yeah. Yeah. And Canby was like, the only thing I liked was at the end when the kids were like crying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think for some of us, like this is exactly how you grieve. I, I have, I have, I mean, despite the sort of violence that happens in this film, this, I have grieved this exact way, right? Um, gone on a two day bender after a funeral with, with friends, right? Or, some friends didn't want it. They had to go back to work, right? And so I found right. other friends that would come grieve with me while I drank for two straight days. But, I mean, this kind of stuff, it happens, and this is a release that they need to find, right, to find a kind of catharsis in. Right now, I'm not trying to excuse their boorish behavior, but at the same time, I, I guess I am. No, it, well, I mean, th these are three men trying to recapture the joy of four men. Yeah. And, and, and living it up to the extent that they don't feel a loss right. of their fourth. So they're doing it in big, wild gestures um, <laughs> and acting, like you said, boorishly, childishly, uh, kind of reveling in one another. Um, it, it's, 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 it's about this, like, almost, you know, there's a homosexual thread that that are that could potentially run through this although Cassavetes probably didn't didn't yeah really believe that. I mean I think that we don't we don't necessarily I think give platonic male friendships the kind of yeah I don't I mean, use that do, word too wrong I mean I, do that they deserve we always sort of and I don't mean we again right but I think we are quick to to sort of go oh well, there's some like homosexual undertones there it's like but look Male friends can love each other, right? I mean, <laughs> right. they can say, like, I love you without meaning, like, I want to do things to you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, I, so. I, yeah, and maybe I misstated a little bit in, in the sense that there's, there's this, like, the, yeah, that sense of platonic love that exists between these men. And that existed between the four of them when they didn't have to think about the loss of it. Right. Um, you know, it clearly is, is powerful, more powerful than their love for their their wives. Yeah. I also think they're grieving this idea of this could happen to me, right? This could have been me. I could have died suddenly like this. And also grieving this idea of, okay, this is it. This is where I am now. I am stuck here. There is no more anything else. Yeah. I, I, do you feel like that they, kind of acknowledge that though i mean like because this seems like this is you know you call this movie husbands right i mean like this is about men who have no concern for that institution which right? i think is exactly why it's called husbands. of course i mean course. calling attention to what's missing right? right and what they you know we don't hear about the wives until the very end where gus and archie are like you know the only problem is we have two wives and we have to go home Right, and, jo and jobs and the right. And yeah, and so I think there is that acknowledgement. I think there is them saying, okay, we can cut loose because of this, but we, you know, this is it. We're stuck, right? We, we can have this sort of bender, right? And we can use the death of our friend as an excuse, but we can never actually do this or sort of expand upon this. Harry's the one who breaks free and decides to stay in London, after, I mean, blowing up his, his marriage. Right, 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 right. But the other two, they, they, they acknowledge as much, right, that yeah, this is where we are.
Yeah, and there's that scene at the end where Cassavetes is looking at his actual kids in yeah, this case. Yeah, But, like, <laughs> Nick and Sam. Almost, like, not, I mean, like, re- kind of resigned to this is, you know, <laughs> not like there's not really even a look of loving. I mean, like, when he gets up and he's, like, walks with them, um, there's a sense of, like, well, okay, this is an obligation that I, that I have. Yeah. But there's not really a sense of, like, when he sees the daughter come out and start crying and you're, like, and he's just kind of, like, stuck in this this place yeah and there's there's a scene where he calls home because he needs their passports Mm -hmm. which which i really really love that scene because he is very um maybe not sweet but he's very charming on the phone and from the bits of conversation we get we sort of understand that his wife is playing along with this. Like, fine, I'll bring you your passports, right? And he's like, oh, my God, you're the best. I love you so much. Oh, you're so great, right? <laughs> this kind of, like, idea that, okay, she's going to let me do this, or I can do this, but she knows I'm coming back, right? And, and, and she's not threatening to divorce me, or she's not threatening to, you know, not bring this passport. Right, right. It's an It's an interesting, like, look into this middle-class malaise Mm -hmm. that still exists today but these these men who would prefer to be with their friends that love their friends more than they love their other lives and this idea that they've gotten themselves trapped in this lifestyle that is really most of it is meaningless to them like their jobs are meaningless to them for the most part as outside of what it provides them and it provides them a ridiculously good lifestyle they're flying first class to london out of right, whim right they're gambling they're buying tuxedos um you know it I, i'm guessing that that uh harry's some sort of architect or some sort of advertising look person. like it right and then casa or um, gus cassavetes is a dentist i don't know what peter falk is i, I, th- I thought that they were both dentists oh, were they it, it okay. seemed like it okay. seemed like harry at one point said you guys stick your fingers in people's mouths i i thought that he was referring to both of them okay it seems to me if they live close together they might have a practice with okay. together okay and the fact that he was allowed behind oh the, yeah in, in in the <laughs> in the dentist chair where he's like just getting in his face about <laughs> Um, what I love about this movie is, I mean, obviously is the playfulness of the three men together and how there's that, um, you know, there, there, all of it, there's the anger and there's the, the, you know, the frustration with one another, but there's, and there's some sort of level of combatancy between who's going to be, you know, whose needs are going to be met immediately. Mm-hmm. Who, who are we paying attention to at the moment? Mm-hmm. And all of them kind of bandy that about. Archie, Peter Falk is clearly the one who has the most problem with behaving in the way that the other two are behaving. Yeah. Um, and by the time that, you know, Harry has made his break with his wife, um, you know, it, it, he's, you know, kind of given that up at that point. So there's really, he's kind of lost that thread. Um I do wonder how long Harry stays in London. I don't think he stays long. I don't think that any of that keeps. No. I, I do think that this speaks to a different era of where divorce wasn't quite as prevalent or wasn't quite as accepted. Right. Or um, as easy. Or as easy, yeah. right. Um, and then even that a scene where Harry hits his mother and or chokes his mother-in-law and slaps his wife and his wife has threatened him with a knife that at some point there will be a come a reckoning to come back to because he's yeah. gonna come back to come back for his job right there's you know what cut of... sharper than that knife was when his wife said to him i'm just not comfortable in front of you it's nothing personal <laughs> it's nothing personal <laughs> uh 
I mean, I can see this is it's, it's this movie. I can, <laughs> it, you know, so this was funded by an Italian um, person that I guess Cassavetes had met. So the first part of it was funded by an Italian. Right, right. And so Cassavetes had full reign of what he wanted to do. But the money was coming in in, in spurts, right? Yeah. They were just like basically yeah. giving a, a a suitcase full of money whenever he needed it. <laughs> right. And so they run out of money, and they have sixty five thousand dollars left. Forty five. I, I read sixty five. Oh, okay. So so I heard I heard Ruben say forty five. Okay. So they staged this huge elaborate scene in this ballroom with all these balloons falling down. It was, and like, a, it was a turnaround house. Yes. For the trains. So yeah. the trains, right? And then that, that's where they turn around. Sorry, go ahead. So all, like 500 extras, all of this stuff. And, like, and, and Ruben's are like, it, it, he's like, we only have this amount of money left. What are you doing? He's like, no, don't worry about it. I got it. All the studios are so going to come. So the studios come. They see this big, huge scene. They're like, oh, we want to be in on this. They start bidding each other out. <laughs> like... Falk and Gazara and Casavetis had both foregone their, all of them have given up their salaries to make this, to do on the back end. And so the Italian gets paid back and, and, and I guess Columbia ends up financing yeah. this thing. Um, you know, Casavetis wrote a 175 page script. The first cut's four hours long. <laughs> right. um, and then I do think that this movie, it's either... I do think for my project, it's either 30 minutes too long or about an hour and a half too short. Yeah. Because I, with the way that he shot this was that there were sequences that were really shown from each man's perspective. Right. I would have loved to have seen like the long six hour cut of this where we get Falk's take and, and or we get Archie's take and we get Gus's take and yeah. we get Harry's take on a scene. We get their perspective shifted mm-hmm. a bunch of different times. I would really, really love to have seen like all of that play out. Um, Alas, we get what we. I mean, I, I, I really, really like this movie. Yeah. Um, I do think it's hard to watch. I mean, like, oh, of it's, course, it's, they are brutally mean to one another. I mean, not only to one another, but to people around them. Well, and Cassavetes does not let us off the hook. I mean, right. he just stays there, and and, and and I really appreciate that. I mean, I as hard as it is, to, as difficult as it is to watch that, the fact that he doesn't pull his punches, the fact that he stays there. The fact that he just keeps going. I mean, there right? are sequences, especially at the beginning of this, when they're in right after the funeral, they go to this bar and get this impromptu singing session. And it is a good 10, 15 minute long shot of them just going around and all these other all these people who thought this was a real singing competition for the movie. <laughs> and they're all singing these songs. And then they all berate this terrible. one poor woman over and over Do and it over again. again. <laughs> Um, and then there's the infamous vomiting scene, yeah. Um, which Cap was like, "Okay, you need to turn that down." Like it was just like, like okay, I, I was trying to hear the dialogue. Now I need to hear the vomiting. <laughs> yeah. But it's just wretching. Like this, and this made people sick in the yeah. theaters too. But this is like wretching sequence, and it's like there. Casavetes put it: they weren't wretching because they were drunk. They were they were wretching because they were sad for their friend like they were they were getting drunk so they could vomit so they could be angry they yeah could. i mean he talks about this you have uh, talks about this in in how he wanted the audience to feel the emotion with the right. vomiting right. <laughs> you know? right i want them to taste the vomit <laughs> it's like you have to feel what's going on <laughs> but i mean this i mean he shot like elaine may length mm-hmm. of a film <laughs> he didn't hide in his garage, but I mean, <laughs> he just like let it roll and just like just kept going. And it's crazy to me that he didn't want to edit it at this point. Then, if he had I all know. of that, hit, you know, all that film and he didn't want to edit he it, he gave it to Ruben. Say, yeah, I do. <laughs> right. And, and you, did you read that he actually wrote a novel, a husband's novel? No, I didn't so, read that. So, um, 
Ruben gets the first cut, and it's hilariously funny. Columbia loves Everybody it. Everybody loves it, yeah. And John's like, what the fuck did you just do yeah. to my movie? What it's is not that? what I want. And then they're like, okay, well, I don't understand what you want. And so, like, over a course of while he's editing it, he's creating it. He is dictating to his secretary a novel about these three, <laughs> a husband's novel about these three guys. And Falk's like, what the fuck, man? If you had told me all this stuff, I would have known. I could have done all of that. Like... It's like it's all this backstory that wasn't shot, all these scenes about them in college. It sounds fucking amazing. That. But that was his whole point, was that he didn't want you to know that. He right. wanted you to react off different characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, like it, he wouldn't want he wouldn't have wanted Falk to, to right. know his, any his, of that. His take on Falk was after third after thirty seven take, he was he was good. So like he could get, <laughs> get going. Um it's funny to me that like they both came to each other um and he was like, "Hey, I want you to do this movie." And he's like, "Oh, well, hey, I want you to do Mickey. I want you to do yeah, because they Mickey did this like right. They'd Mickey. already agreed, right? Right to, to to do Mikey and Nikki. You said Mickey and yeah, Nikki again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It should have been a name, Nikki and Nikki. And then that was, <laughs> and then that was how they found Gazzara too. And he's like, I, "I want a couple of New York guys to to do this." Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And Gazzara was like had hit it big on Broadway and off Broadway, but like, and he'd been in TV shows, but it wasn't it wasn't really popping like his his acting. So it was really kind of a perfect storm for these three guys. And they spent, you know, weeks rehearsing together, kind of living yeah. together, becoming those friendships together. Um, and then embody their characters on the Dick Cavett show. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm glad you sent that to me, but I had seen it and like read about that. And like, well, I'm like, God, these guys are just so, this is brilliant. I love it. Or you're going to sit here for 45 minutes and not talk to you. But during the basketball scene, they tell you how good of friends they ended up becoming. And they ended, during the basketball scene, by the when they were done with it, um, uh, Falk was like, "Hey, um, is my eye offset?" Like, because mm -hmm. like, and they're like, "Yeah, we, um, it's uh, yeah, you we know." And he's like, "Okay, I need to adjust it. You guys need to turn around." And they're like, "No, we're not." And she's like, "I don't, I don't even do this in front of my wife." Like, <laughs> yeah. we're like, "No, just fucking do it." And he's like, "All right, just popped it out and, <laughs> and fixed it, it right back in." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I really, really dug this movie. I, 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 I dig the, 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 the uncomfortableness of it all. I dig the male camaraderie, and and I, I, I do think that it speaks to, look, it, especially in a day and age where we're, we've told the story of the white male a thousand different times. Mm -hmm. I understand. I can understand where people may not want to come to this story again, but I do think it, it speaks to a a place in time where these men find themselves where they have gone down a certain path and see that path irrevocable at that point. Yeah. And, they, and they have to either continue. They, there's nothing they can do. And so this, this, and I'm not excusing, like I said, this behavior, but this sense of infidelity or this sense of brashness or punching back um, and trying to escape or just trying to feel something outside of them. And again, these are, and it sounds so pathetic, right? Because these are men who are wealthy. I mean, like by all and by all standards, have jobs that they can come in and out of with without any sort of, you know, they're well beloved. I mean, his friend's funeral has a it's, it, it's big. It's big. You know, yeah. they, they, he's talking on a, you know the the priest the preach is the priest is talking on a speaker to the entire crowd. Yeah. Um, and these are men by all accounts who have everything. But I think that speaks to. The, the sense that this is a shared human experience that we mm -hmm. all find ourselves in the sense of we can, can all find ourselves in the sense of, um, you know, 
arrested development and being stuck in your situation and not and feeling hopeless and 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 then striking out in somewhat childish and and immature and destructive ways. Yeah, it's a, it's a burst of emotion, right? It's a, it's an, but I think this is also Cassavetti's point of like, this is not what it's about. It's not about the house, the car, the job, the money. That's not what, look, you can want all that. You're still going to be just as empty, right? Or these right. guys are just as empty because of that, just like the people in Faces. It's the same thing, right? I mean, so, yeah, I don't, I also don't think Cassavetti's glamorizes these guys. I mean, Cassavetti shows them for the assholes that they are. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's just like, yeah. Well, this when, is, when they get to London and they each they each pair up with women, yeah. their women, their their you know their pairings are still seemingly as ineffectual as 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 their real life pairings are. Right. I mean, you know, you know, Falk, it connect, Archie connects with this young Asian girl who can't speak. They don't speak the same language, so they can't communicate with one another. When she finally does get at what he's hinting at, he recoils at the thought and of... And berates her. <laughs> right. So he he can't follow through on his infidelity. Um, Archie, or Harry, is uh, is impotent when he's, you know, when he tries to do this. And then the only one that... Uh, and then Gus is kind of picks a taller woman who can kind of like <laughs> beat him up a little bit yeah. and kind of play yeah. his superior, at least physically. And so when they do have sex, but then again, the morning after, he can't stand having a conversation with her. All of his charm disappears. <laughs> right. right. So faced with the with the reality of having All of it, these guys, all of the things these guys are known for lets them down, right? <laughs> right. Harry's bravado, it's gone, right? Gus's charm, right? Peter Falk's kind of attractive hangdogness. It, 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 these are the things that, that end up letting them down in, in the end. I, I do. I'm interested in <clears throat> understanding, like, the cut that was originally released was 154 minutes. The cut that's on Criterion is like two hours and 20 minutes. That's the, the kind of universal cut at this point. I'm interested in, I, I know Cassavet is at a certain point just had to th- deliver something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've, what I've heard is the longer cut and the, the four hour, the rest of the footage is no longer available. But I, I want, I would be interested in hearing about like why he kept certain things in and kept certain, I mean like, yeah. and again, because again, like the, the, the <clears throat> sequence of where they berate the woman singing is a painful sequence. Like where do you cut that line? Where it's, what's the, what's the, what's the thought process in keeping it, at 10 minutes rather than five right do you not do you miss your point I, I know that there's a part of him that wants to make the people uncomfortable yeah he wants to make you not like these guys he's trying to get a point across to a certain extent even if he tell you that he's not um so i mean i i still think it's a brilliant movie and i think the three leads are what sell it i mean like and again like the comedy aspects of it the funny walkers that are going down the street when they can't actually run you know it's, the gym's not open yet so they do the, 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 the and like the basketball sequence and this, like all of their like <laughs> right. like funny kind of teenage camaraderie that they have with one another is is really i mean it's just borne out on the screen that, that they are they i mean if you were to tell me that these men weren't friends in real life i would tell you you're lying there's right. just no way that you can convey that type of they're not that good of actors uh <laughs> But it's, I don't know, it's just so, it's so, I, I think it also being shot in color actually adds to the, I think this being his first color film actually adds to it as well. Even though you still have that kind of cinema verite moving the camera right. around as well right. here, um, you're able to kind of 
live in this world a little bit more mm -hmm. realistically than you than you were in, in, in Faces or Shadows. And I think like shooting it in black and white would have felt a little false. Yeah, I mean, and especially in 1970. Little, like at this yeah. point, you're. It feels like you're now. You're doing a bit, right? Right, right, right. right. Where it makes sense, I think, in faces, especially because you know it's grainy, it's fast, it, it feels more like a, a documentary than than a right. sort of narrative film. Um, and this one, you know, feels more like a, a film that has some construction around it. And so, yeah, I think that, I, and I think, you know, to me, I think I understand faces is clearly the better picture. I, I feel myself drawn towards husbands just because I, you know, I, I can I think I can relate. I mean, it's just a matter of, of understanding these men to a certain extent. Right. Right. I think I think that both films are are relatable in this, that these are people who, again, have done pretty much everything that society has told them to do. And they're still miserable. <laughs> And, right, and, you know, and, they followed the rules. They made money. They they've got the good jobs. They've got the family. They've got the house, and they're just like, "Fuck this!" And as you end on the, "What is he going to do without us?" I mean, obviously, that question is, "What are we going to do without him?" And it obviously means, "What are we going to do without our friend?" Mm -hmm. We are we were four. Now we're two. Like, I mean, it's just, and it's really, you can just cut it off as, "What are we going to do?" Yep. Like, I mean, like, who do we, and how do we define ourselves when everything that we've been taught has been a fucking lie? How do we define ourselves moving forward? How do we find meaning in this fucking life? Right. That, right. That is that is given us everything and nothing at the same time. Because it's not your job, kids. Right. You know, and I think that's something that these guys find. It's not the suburbs. It's not the job. It's not the money. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's us. Right. Maybe it's our friendship. Okay. It's starting to fall apart. Now what the fuck do we do? Right. right. It's like they come to this realization only to find out. That now it's that's going away too. I mean, I'm gonna go Riley myself over here on this table. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are. I mean, I find both of these films just completely heartbreaking. Yeah. Right. I mean, in a, in a good way, but still just heartbreaking. I mean, these are people that are that are that are wrapped up in this idea of the of the spectacle of society, and they're coming to realize it. And they're like, "Fuck! Now what? Right? Now what do I do?" Um, it's not like they're in jobs that, I don't know, allow them a different kind of outlet. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why these three guys are on a bender, right? This is their outlet now. This is the only outlet they've found, right? It's not a healthy one. <laughs> right. And yeah, and faced with your own mortality at the, for, the, for, for the very first time, now you start to realize that all the meaninglessness of your life really comes to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And they, all the things that you've you built it around don't mean shit because you could just fucking drop dead tomorrow. Yep. And so, is this what you really want to be doing? Yeah. So what is the point of any of this? Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you want to be doing is listening to when is a Wilhelm scream? <laughs> because for uplifting messages, <laughs> like <laughs> what like is the point one. of any of this? <laughs> <laughs> We're here with you, listener. That's uh, all I'm saying. So Ebert hated this movie too. Um, so did Canby, so did Kale. Jay Cox, writing in Time, called this Cassavetti's finest work. Siskel put this on his top ten list in 71 at number nine. Do you know what movie was number two on that list? In 71. I, uh, We've talked about it on this podcast. Hmm. Funeral Prater, no, 69. <laughs> sure. <laughs> A new leaf. Oh, there we go. All right. Nice. Yeah, so Cisco had a new leaf. 
on his top 10 and husbands. So this is why I've always been a Cisco guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay, anything else on, on husbands? Um, no, no, uh, I think that's it. Okay, just remember husbands have wives and wives are important. Um, Jason, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we'll be talking about next time? Sure. The Fort Worth Film Club is showing a 2018 Sorry to Bother You. Uh, we're kind of delving. Which is the subtitle of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're delving into uh, kind of industry insider anti-capitalist films um, and, and really kind of in the vein of standing with SAG-AFTRA and the WGA and their plight against um, the studios in this case. And, and of course, if we, we probably haven't mentioned it before, but that's and if you were ever wondering on what side we were on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've made that. Right. Um, so we're going to be showing that uh, on, on um, you know, later on this month. So we'll be talking about that film and then some other industry insider, maybe anti-capitalist, anti-AI films. Uh, we'll decide between now and then, but uh, we'll definitely be talking about Sorry to Bother You. Because that's what we do. Because <laughs> we don't plan all that well. <laughs> because we're too busy asking, what is the point of any of this? But also trying to find a way out. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to London. Fuck it. Let's go to London Fuck right it. now. Let's go. Let's go. I have to go home and get my passport. But sure. <laughs> I'll sure. call my wife. She can come go next door and get <laughs> there it for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, um, okay. Anything else, Jason? That's it for me. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening. And keep screaming. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Now we have Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Where is the peck of pickled peppers Peter picked? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter picked? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the BFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time, 